0: Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And
1: I'm Emanuel.
0: First couple episodes of the 1992 miniseries uh, went off without a hitch. We had a great time talking about them. Yeah. Part three tonight, the Razzie Award winner and or loser, depending on your point of view. Winner. Winner. It won the Razzie, it won Worst Picture of 1992. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. The winner of the 1992 Razzie for Worst Picture, Shining Through, is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh-huh. Um, I Manny, before we get too much further, okay. last week I was so excited to talk about Basic Instinct. We had a really good time talking about that. Yeah, we did. That. that was a fun episode. I was so excited, I completely forgot to say a joke. Oh. Which was that uh, Basic Instinct is a movie that feels a lot longer than it actually is, because by the time you're finished, the movie's only half done. Nice. <laughs> nice i, I had to, i had to get that in here i, I like, like shit it. that's a good joke I it is a good joke okay we're done with basic instinct yeah that's in the past go back and listen to episode 212 if you want to hear that uh we're living in the now we are <laughs> we are uh wh- where do we go from here manny
1: well just before we get into the show and what we've been watching i just want to give a shout out to a new listener uh the gentleman's name is ben what's up ben Ben uh, listened to – I think he listened to the Basic Instinct uh, one. I'm I'm hoping. I I, I would assume it was a recent episode. Uh, From what I understand, I'm getting word through the grapevine through his girlfriend, Courtney, who I'm pretty sure didn't listen. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Ben apparently did, apparently liked what he heard, and is possibly going to listen to more. So I just wanted to – I'll give any listener a shout-out if they let me know that they're listening. New listeners, please. We're just screaming oh, into the
0: void here. Yeah, we're just talking to ourselves yeah. in this room.
1: So, and the only other ones I know that listen for sure are the ones who have been on the show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, R- Rachel, Wes, and Jordan are the only ones I know listen regularly. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the show regularly, then you know that I talk about Rachel a lot. And I'm oh, she's <laughs> going
0: to get talked about today too, isn't she? Sure is. <laughs> she sure is.
1: We'll get there. And. Well, Jordan and West kind of escape my wrath. Well, they frequently. have they
0: have the benefit of, uh, well, Jordan of living in a different city, and True. Wes frequently being away from Kamloops. True. Does he live out of Kamloops? I don't know. Well, what... yeah,
1: because he's in he's do he's doing his schooling down the coast. Yeah, okay. He's in town so, currently.
0: Yes, he's in town for the summer right now. Yeah, gotcha. Shout out to West. Shout out to West and Jordan. Why not? Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah,
1: just wanted to give a shout-out to Ben, uh, a, a new listener. Hopefully, he sticks around. Hopefully, he enjoys the show enough to uh, to become a regular listener. Uh, I hope so. So, thanks for listening, Ben. We truly appreciate it. Let's jump into what we've been watching. Uh, I got four films that I'd like to discuss. <laughs> Sam's already smiling. All right, hit me. Yeah, four films uh, I would like to discuss. Uh, two of them are, uh, again as i keep chipping away at my 1992 films my uh, either rewatches or very rarely first time watches uh the first one is a let's see what they have it listed as a sci-fi yeah okay uh action crime sci-fi movie called Freejack starring are you ready for this? Well oh, i'm ready. Emilio Estevez oh René Russo and Mick Jagger What? Yes That's sir. That's insane. Free Jack, uh, bounty hunters from the future transport a doomed race car driver to New York City in the future 2009. What a year. Uh, where his mind will be replaced with that of a dead billionaire. Now, Sam, uh, also in this movie, playing the, the dead billionaire is Anthony Hopkins. Um, this movie actually has a really cool premise. And the movie is complete shit. It is uh, not good.
0: 34 Metascore. Yeah. 34 yeah. Metascore. Uh,
1: the action is laughable. The acting is poor, but not from the person you're thinking of. Mick
0: Jagger actually plays a really good villain. Really? Yes, he does. That's, that's incredibly surprising to me. It. I,
1: I wish this movie was close enough to being good where I'd say, Sam, you should check this out just to watch Mick Jagger. Please don't watch this movie. <laughs> it's, it's not good, but the, the the premise of the movie, Sam, is actually really cool because what they do is mere nanoseconds before Emilio Estevez's characters die. Who, he's a race car driver, like an F1, mm-hmm. and he collides with another car and it actually skips up into the air and then crashes into an overpass. Okay. So like a second before he's about to die – they pull him from the future, um, pull him from the past into the future into 2009, mm. um, where his, where he's supposed to be dead, and they and they revive him. And then they Im- they kind of implant the mind of the billionaire, so this so rich people can kind of basically live forever. Mm. And they're not really stealing bodies because he was supposed to die anyways. Right. But he ends up they pulled him like a, a little too quickly. <laughs> they pulled him. They pulled him a little too quickly, so he's actually kind of still alive and aware, which is, uh,
0: um, not so. Nor- it's not kind normal. of like two consciousnesses uh, sharing a
1: body. Then no, or- when they implant the mind, your consciousness is obliterated. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he wakes up and escapes, and an escape person like this is called a freejack. Gotcha. Uh, the future in 2009 is bleak and desolate. And it's just an incredibly poorly done movie. And yeah, this is, I loved how surprised you were about Mick Jagger being in it, but Sammy's the best part of the movie. That's
0: upsetting. Yeah. If he's the best part of the movie.
1: Yeah. But he's not, he's not bad at all. He's not a bad actor in this role.
0: What are your thoughts? Not even necessarily for this movie, but just generally, Emilio Estevez.
1: Okay, like I grew up with him. Yeah. So my main films with Emilio Estevez are The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. and the two Young Guns films, right, where he plays Billy the Kid. He has a um, he has a small role uh, in Mission Impossible. And he had another comedy I'm trying to think of with his brother, Charlie Sheen, called Men at Work. I'm trying to think if there's anything
0: else. Steve, other one named on his Wikipedia page is St. Almost Fire. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but I've heard of it, which means it was probably huge because it was in the 80s and I heard it. It was a
1: pretty big movie. Uh, it's a, a, a great time capsule for that era. His character is so problematic. He, I'm I'm not even kidding. His character literally stalks somebody and it's meant to be a
0: good thing. Oh yeah. Well, that's just, that's just romance movies in the eighties. Yes. But the
1: best thing about it, St. Elmo's fire, spoilers for St. Elmo's fire. Boom. It doesn't work. And that's what I like. She does. She's not creeped out by his stockiness, but she is, she's in love. She's with somebody else. Mm and she does not leave her partner to be with Amelia it. It's kind of like hey, you shouldn't
0: the, the movie says The movie is anti stalking the, the movie is like this doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe maybe it's aged better than its plot leads on. It uh, 100% like, the, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Animal's Fire is actually
1: it's a pretty good movie. Like for its time. Uh an absolute all-star cast. Um what else? Just trying to think of what else Emilio would kind of be up for. Like big, let's see, The Way. I don't even Bobby. Those are not, what the, why does IMDb have those as his fucking films? Brutal. Oh, right, fucking The Mighty Ducks. Jesus Christ. Yeah, naturally.
0: I I was waiting for you to get to that.
1: No, thank you. No, thank you. I know you're not a
0: Mighty Ducks guy. No. They were even a little before my time. I wouldn't say I grew up on The Mighty Ducks movies. I've seen the first one. I wouldn't say I grew up on it.
1: Huh. Oh right. Times. Okay. Then he's also uh, in uh, an action film I watched for 1993 called Judgment Night. Hmm. Uh, a pretty decent action film. And yeah. Let's see. Hmm. Oh. Oh. Maximum Overdrive. Uh, um. Director of Maximum Overdrive. Novelist Stephen King. Really? Yes. Director. Director.
0: Did not know he directed.
1: Not good. Okay. I haven't I, – I remember loving it as a kid, but that's because uh, – what a shocker we're going on this huge tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot of Maximum Overdrive is that Earth is caught in the tail end of a comet as it passes by Earth. And for some reason, the tail end of this comet causes all electronic equipment to become sentient and murderous towards human beings. Cool. So the main air quotes villain in Maximum Overdrive is actually this large um semi-truck that is a um it's a toy company and on the front of the semi-trailer is a uh, massive like it's 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 like the size of the front of a semi-truck um is a green goblin like oh. from the comics creepy yeah and so it like runs people over and stuff like that. So cars are are like killing people. Like I remember one scene there's a diner and one lady's using like an electric knife to cut some ham and the knife like cuts her instead and um, it's uh very violent. I remember liking it as a kid because the idea of trying to trying to figure out how you could survive in a world where everything electronic
0: is trying to kill you. Uh, Was yeah, imagine that, hey. Yeah,
1: was (laughs) was an interesting idea, but uh, I would definitely love to revisit it because I bet you it's really fucking bad.
0: Want to hazard a guess at the metascore of Maximum Wolf Drive? I'm gonna guess 20s at best. 24. Man, it is exactly 24. (laughs) (laughs) You are bang on, good sir. (laughs) Uh,
1: I also remember that it features two possibly three acdc songs on its soundtrack boo not an acdc fan nah uh, <laughs> um but yeah okay so that that's my wow that was a big um big tangent on, on, anyway yeah, that's free jack I mean, that uh yeah uh free jack uh one out of five good yeah love it love a good one yes the next film i watched i wasn't I wasn't sure how it was – I hadn't watched it since 1993, 94. Now, sadly, I learned I was once again tricked by Letterboxd and IMDb and not doing my research. I was watching this because I thought it was a 1992 film. It's not. It's a 1993. This was released in 1992 internationally in North America in 1993. So, you got lured by the Lerman for I this did. one. I did. Uh, it's uh, Baz Luhrmann's debut film, Strictly Ballroom. Uh, a maverick dancer risks his career by performing an unusual routine and sets out to succeed with a new partner. Uh, Metascore of 72. Now, this would have been a exhilarating breath of fresh air for people that have, obviously, with this being Baz Luhrmann's debut – The camera work and everything that he's become known for is on full display, not at the same skill level because it's his debut film, but you can see everything that Baz Luhrmann does is on display in this, in this movie. And for me, that's not a good thing. His style of filmmaking, his editing choices and stuff like that just don't resonate with me. And... I will applaud him because the one thing he did do for this film is actually use real dancers. So the dancing is fucking superb, but they're dancers and not actors. So at times the acting from the two main leads is leaves a little to be desired. It's not bad acting. It's just not as good as what you'd want. I found myself pretty bored watching this movie and I'm even more upset that I wasted uh, watching a film that I can't even really use for my list or anything like that. But it doesn't matter because Strictly Ballroom got a 2 out of 5.
0: <laughs> um, looking at Baz Luhrmann's filmography right now, yeah. Strictly Ballroom is the debut. Follows it up with Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Which I would like to revisit, yeah. even though I don't like Shakespeare and I
1: don't like Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. But Romeo and Juliet... Like, T-Bone loves that movie. I don't remember liking that movie. And I don't remember liking it either, but I haven't seen it since it came out, so I might give it another... Uh, so, was that 95? Six.
0: 96. Uh, followed up by the worst movie to contain a color in its title ever made, uh, Moulin Rouge. The worst? <laughs> not according well, to you. Well, no, it's, well, it's the 26th best. <laughs> not, that many, not that many movies containing colors out there. Worst one I've seen. Uh yeah, so there's that and then Australia I haven't seen. It's like a it's like a ro- it's like a romance epic, right? Yeah. Actually, I like that one. Hmm.
1: Okay. Uh I'll tell you right now. There's one scene in Australia that had me questioning my sexuality. Is it Hugh Jackman? Yeah. Yeah. And he's literally he is standing half naked pouring a bucket of water on himself.
0: Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, wow." <laughs> So that's what it's like to like men. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, 2013, the great Gatsby. Haven't seen that either. I watched it once. I think I was like half asleep or something or half paying attention. I don't remember a lot about it. Okay. Uh, and then he's going to be coming out with Elvis this year. I'm
1: wa- I'm going to watch Elvis. I'm, I will I'm, also watch it. I'm intrigued.
0: I'm but nervous. Yeah. That is a good description of what I feel about this. All right. Yeah. So Baz Luhrmann, um, I would think it's safe to say neither of us particularly fans. Maybe Elvis will turn us around. Maybe Who knows? Who knows? But as of right now, yeah. Uh, strictly Ballroom, pretty much part for the course. Yeah. Two out of five. Yeah.
1: Next up was a movie that I was looking forward to watching. It was getting uh, pretty good reviews. Uh, and that's the Netflix film Hustle, starring Adam Sandler. Uh, A basketball scout discovers a phenomenal streetball player while in Spain and sees the prospect as his opportunity to get back into the NBA. This is one of the rare films where Adam Sandler is not uh, playing a comedic role. Now, even though this movie is listed as a comedy drama sport film on IMDb and is listed under the comedy tag on Netflix, I can't stress enough that this is not a comedy This is a sports movie, through and through. There are a couple moments that are definitely funny, but this is not a comedy. If anyone's thinking that this is another Adam Sandler comedy, then you're going to be disappointed and then happy that you watch it because this is a really good movie. His performance is not at Uncut Gems level performance, but he's not doing his usual shtick, which I can't stand. He's just playing a normal guy. And there are a few times that the usual Adam Sandler stuff comes out where he does his angry yelling at everybody, but it's few and far between what you can tell when you watch this movie is how much Adam Sandler loves basketball. And this movie is thoroughly enjoyable. It has Ben Foster in it
0: as an actor. I fucking love I only really know him from, uh, uh, oh, God, I can't think of the name of the movie. Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water, which is a phenomenal movie.
1: Yes, Ben Foster is an actor I fucking love. Every time he's in a movie, I think he's so good. If anybody wants to check out a really another great Ben Foster performance along the same lines as he has in Hell or High Water, check out the movie 310 to Yuma. Mm. Fantastic Western, and Ben Foster is so fucking menacing. Uh, Hustle, one of the great things about Hustle, is that they use real NBA players. Um, the the player that he finds is a real NBA player uh, named Honcho uh, Hernana Gomez. I believe he plays for the Celtics? Uh, jazz, Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz, okay. Uh, he is decently good in this role. I think part of what helps him is that he is Spanish, so English is being his second language, so... He's trying his best to he, he speaks really good English, not not 100% fluent, but he's it's not that he he's you can't understand what he's saying, but I think his pausing and stuff like that when he is speaking English helps the performance and the character.
0: like he genuinely is trying to remember he's trying to remember words as he's speaking like yeah. a like a person speaking English as a second language would. Yeah. and so I think that helps. And
1: I'm not sure let me see if I can quickly find who it is. Because the villain in this
0: movie It's not uh, it's not Anthony Edwards it is, is. It? okay for the who also is a professional basketball player yeah, for, there's the, for the s- T Wolves.
1: Yeah, there's so many real basketball players in this movie. Well it's
0: produced by LeBron James. Yeah. So
1: uh Anthony Edwards as Kermit Wilt. I'm gonna tell you right now, if Anthony Edwards wants to pursue acting afterwards, I hope he does. Oh yeah? He's he, he plays a cocky young basketball prospect that is like the rival in the movie, and he's really good. Cool. And obviously the basketball scenes are top-notch. The camera really moves around the court and really moves around the players well. the If you're a basketball fan, you've probably already watched this. If you haven't, you should watch it tonight. Interesting. I think a basketball fan— this is going to be one of their favorite
0: movies of all time. There's a there's a who's who in this movie. Like there's yes. um, guys you would probably recognize, uh, like uh, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson, Dirk Nowitzki. I watched the movie, man. Uh, I saw the ball. And, and then new school guys like Trey Young, Jordan Clarkson, Chris Middleton, Kyle Lowry.
1: The Credits at the end yeah. show you everybody awesome. So as you're like the credits roll, you see the person like as himself, as himself. Like cool. It's not it's not scrolling. You see the person mm-hmm. and and who they played. Uh, yeah. I I can't. It, this is a, a great recommendation.
0: Uh, oh, get, sweet. oh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, like I'm not a I'm not a huge basketball fan. I will watch, but it's like my fourth favorite of the four major sports in North America. Uh, but I do watch. Uh, college basketball once a year during March Madness, and a guy who uh, was on one of the teams that I rooted for one year, uh, a guy named uh, Moritz Wagner, uh, who's who German, was playing uh, college ball. He's in this movie. He was uh, the German Haas, if that rings a bell. Oh, he's
1: got... It's a small role.
0: Yeah, that's... Uh, like <laughs> That guy is kind of a, uh, a small-time legend in my uh, in my group of friends just because of his performance in the NCAA tournament, even okay. though he's not a very good... Not the greatest pro basketball player in the world right now. All right. (laughs) Uh,
1: I gave Hustle a 4 out of 5.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Anytime Adam Sandler can get above a 1. That's (laughs) that's a success. Pretty much.
1: All right. It's time to get to it. The last film I want to talk about is a movie I saw last night. Uh, That movie is Jurassic World Dominion. Now, I am going to spoil this movie. So, the plot. Holy fuck, look at the end of this fucking... Okay, here's the plot. Four years after the destruction of Isla Nublar, dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most fearsome creatures in a new era. That's the fucking plot to Jurassic World Dominion.
0: Before you do get going, I'll uh-huh. reiterate that it's going to be spoiled, so if you still have plans to watch this movie, yes. you should go. I do not have plans to watch this movie, so yep. I don't really care. Um, if I may, yeah. I saw the first Jurassic World. Okay, Nothing about it made me want to go back for more. Okay, It had a meta score of 59. huh. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom comes out in 2018.
1: Yep. Which won my worst picture of the
0: year. Metascore of 51. Okay. So progressively worse. Yeah. Um, do you want me to... Go ahead. Okay. You're on the roll. Metascore for Jurassic World Dominion. 38. Yep. So according to the critics, who aren't always right, it is the worst so far by a considerable margin. Yeah. Manny, do you tend to agree with these people?
1: I I, I am their brothers. Uh, this movie was absolute dog shit. Um, okay. So... Rachel, who is eventually going to listen, as I don't think she's ever missed an episode. Rachel, I'm very sorry uh, that I'm going to say a lot of really nasty things about a movie that you love that you gave a four out of five.
0: Yeah, for the first time ever, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> now,
1: I want to say this just beforehand, and then I'm going to spoil this movie, and you're probably going to want to give me about five to ten minutes, mm-hmm. ten at the most. I'm not gonna. I am not going i do not want to go that long on this movie. Okay, so spoilers for Jurassic World Dominion 3, two, 1, go fuck yourself. Jurassic World Dominion. Oh, what I wanted to say is it, for, for people like Rachel that watch this movie and they love the Jurassic World films, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm so glad that you watched this movie and you were entertained and you found this to be something captivating and that brought you joy. Awesome. I am so happy for you. I am not one of those people. I'm going to spoil this movie now. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Okay. I don't know where to begin. So I'm going to just try and remember as much as I can. Now, the movie starts off well, Sam. It starts off with like a, almost like a newsreel clip showing shots and stuff of the aftermath of what happened at the end of Fallen Kingdom when dinosaurs were lo- loosed on the world. So showing all these really great cri- clips of how the problems of dinosaurs and humans living in the same world are 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 now trying to coexist. So there's like this great like footage of somebody at this campsite in their trailer filming a T-Rex attacking somebody else's trailer and these clips of other dinosaurs interacting with humans both in good and bad ways. So it starts off is kind of like a think piece or like a reminder. Dinosaurs are among us now. We're trying to learn how to adapt to this new paradigm that we have uh, among us. So I was like, okay, cool. My idea of what that plot synopsis is, is this movie is going to be about how, I, I thought this movie was going to be like, humans and dinosaurs coexist in this world. It's not working out. So we're going to have to kind of round them up and start a new island. That's That was my idea. Because obviously if the movie was just about, humans and dinosaurs coexisting, there would be no plot to this movie. So it has to be some type of... This movie is not about dinosaurs. At all.
0: It's not about dinosaurs. Jurassic World Dominion is not about dinosaurs?
1: No. What's it about? It is about a major uh, biotech corporation called Biosyn that has created (laughs) these... Locusts the size of poodles—they
0: are like this big, massive locusts. Manny is holding his hands yeah. about a poodle's what the part
1: that are eating all the crops in America, except the crops planted with the biosyn seed. So this big evil mega corporation is hoping to control the global food market. Through the use of these genetically engineered locusts, (laughs) plus, as per what happened in Fallen Kingdom, that I had forgotten because I did not revisit Fallen Kingdom. um, Owen and Claire, is that right? That sounds right. Actually, I know Owen's right. Claire, okay. So Owen and Claire, that's Chris Chris Pratt and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm. They rescued some little girl who was a clone and yeah this is in fallen kingdom i honestly don't remember this part of the movie they they rescued her and they're they're hiding her because I, I guess this mega corporation wants her i i guess okay mm. <sighs> that's what the movie's
0: about that's it that's that's the movie y- yeah <laughs> now <clears throat> Our dinosaur is present. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That seems crucial.
1: Yeah. The character of Dr. Ellie Sadler, played by Laura Dern. Do you remember what she is a doctor of? We just reviewed Jurassic Park
0: a few months ago. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, I I want to say paleontology? Nope. Uh, Biology? Nope. I don't know. Okay, a botanist, remember? Botanist! Right? Ah, naturally, yes, because she's examining the shit for seeds. Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. Got
1: it. So in this movie, she's no longer a botanist. She, I guess she studies insects now because she's the one that finds these locusts and realizes that they're super big and I guess determines there's some type of conspiracy. So who does she go to go and help her on this journey to try to uncover what the problem with these insects are? Sam Neill, I would assume. Who's a paleontologist, not, is it, what is it? I'm going to guess, is it an entomologist? An entomologist, because that's what Gil Grissom was from CSI. Uh Aha. So instead of going to an insect expert for help, she goes to a paleontologist. (sighs) They decide that they are going to infiltrate Biosyn's main lab, to try and find evidence of this genetic tampering, besides the fact that these fucking locusts are the size of poodles. There's obviously something going on, but that's their plan. How they get in is that Biosyn has hired Dr. Ian Malcolm as an advisor for their company, who literally is just there in their company to shit on their company and tell them that what they're doing is wrong to make them feel okay that as long as they can prove him wrong, then what they're doing is right. That's what I gathered. They've literally hired Dr. Malcolm, who gives speeches to the Biosyn's own employees about the, how their company is wrong and evil and the things they're doing are going to lead to the extinction of mankind.
0: That is what they've hired him for. Good. Good. Okay. I'm on board so far. <clears throat> okay. So that—that <laughs> <laughs> that is literally what the movie's about. Okay. The little girl obviously gets kidnapped. I'm still waiting for the twist about, like, dinosaurs actually do show up. Here we go. Okay. So if you remember,
1: Chris Pratt has
0: magic skills of
1: being able to talk to raptors. Yeah. And
0: oh, how could I forget? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so his his main buddy, Blue. Yeah, my boy, Blue. Yeah, except it's Blue's a girl. Oh, shit.
0: Okay. The old school reference still yes. still sticks, though. Uh,
1: uh, Blue had a little baby raptor. So both the little ba- girl, baby blue, baby blue, the little girl, and baby blue both get kidnapped. Okay. And so, Chris Pratt, and Bryce Dallas Howard have to rescue them. So that's their story. Hmm. And then, the Jurassic Park crew are on the. We have to uncover this locust conspiracy, and okay. eventually they all meet up. Now. <clears throat> <laughs> Do you find it odd that this movie, uh, it's now, we'll go like, let's say, I think roughly they're playing with real timelines. So Jurassic Park was 1993. So this is what, 29 years ago? 29 years later. So I I think they're going roughly by the same kind of timeline. So it's been 30 years roughly since uh, Dr. Alan Grant has discovered that there are real dinosaurs on this planet and yet he continues to be a paleontologist and dig up fossils. Why would you do that when the actual dinosaurs you're trying to study are right fucking there?
0: That's true. That's very true.
1: That makes no sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah,
1: it is. (laughs) Now that's fine. Okay. So as you and I have discussed numerous times, when you're not enjoying a movie, you start to find things that you can pick on. Yeah. Because you're not- That's a great example of one. Yes. <laughs> you're not invested in the movie, so you're like, what else can I
0: fucking pick apart this movie to to, to make it enjoyable? Like, how can I make fun well, of this suspension movie? Suspension of disbelief is a tenuous thing. Yes. You kind of give the movie the benefit of the doubt on things like that and just assume they have an explanation for things like that if the rest of it is airtight. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be
1: airtight. I am i guarantee you, um, like, one of my all-time favorite movies is Avengers Endgame. I'm sure there's people that fucking hate the MCU that could sit in this chair right now and pick it apart
0: of all the things that they hate and they find ridiculous. Not they would be I, in for a treat because they'd get to talk to you about it <laughs> and you would pick them apart. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, I, like,
1: again, for everybody out there, and this really especially goes to you, Rachel, because i everyone knows I love to pick on you, but I'm only... My enjoyment of this movie, is I didn't enjoy it. So I'm only just pointing out the things that I just couldn't let go of because they bothered me, and they pulled me out of the movie. I am so happy, again, that Rachel loved this movie as much as she was. She was so excited, so I'm happy that she got to enjoy this movie, but I didn't, so I'm just going to have a little fun tearing it apart. In no, way, in no way, shape, or form am I pointing these out in the hopes that Rachel will change her mind and say it's a bad movie. That's not my intent. And that's, I, that's, None of us would try to do that, I no, don't think. No, no. I want Rachel to enjoy this movie for what it is. One of the other many things. Okay. <laughs> Skipping ahead. I'm not going to go through the whole movie, but I'm going to go through some other, some other minor things. So there's this secret underground black market dinosaur <laughs> market in Malta. that Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard um, uh, uh, sneak into to try and find the girl and the baby. This out-of-nowhere arms dino dealer has no explanation, don't care, don't care, I don't care, but has trained these raptors that if she points a laser pointer at you and the laser beam hits you, These raptors will chase you until you die. It's like a heat-seeking missile, a a laser-pointed missile. But the the laser doesn't have to stay on you. It just has to go on you for a moment. Now, there are numerous times, and numerous, I say like one or two. Like, If you want to get literal, we'll get literal. She does it a couple times, but the raptors don't see the laser hit you but they somehow
0: know... They just sense it, or... Yeah. They know that it has hit you. Yeah. It leaves some sort of trace on you somehow. Sure, whatever. Suspend your disbelief. That's not my
1: problem. So this is my main problem. It's the same kind of suspension of disbelief you have to have possibly in horror movies. But these raptors are in their individual cages. They fall off a truck, but they're stuck in the cages. The... I believe it's the CIA have now cornered this arms dealer and they have guns drawn on her. They are standing amongst the cage. She puts her hands up in the air. The controls for the the Raptors are on a bracelet. Mm. So she opens the doors. So the Raptors come out standing amongst the CIA agents, with guns. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure you're aware of the guns okay, thing here. The CIA
0: have guns here.
1: Pointed at the lady. Yes. The Raptors come out. They don't attack because they haven't been laser-pointed on anybody. Then she laser-points on a couple people. And these trained CIA agents do not ever fire their gun at the Raptors. They insti- Or the
0: operator of said bracelet.
1: They... Do not fire their gun at the Raptors. They instead think running is the best option.
0: Okay. At no point
1: do these trained operatives fire their gun at flesh-eating monsters. I can't let that go.
0: No, that's unacceptable. That's beyond suspension of disbelief. Just
1: fire your gun and miss. (laughs) I'll buy that. Go down shooting. I'll buy that. But to not fire your gun
0: <sighs> okay can I can I take the opportunity to insert a fun fact here yes to lighten the mood did you know that human... a lot of people assume that humans only evolved to dominate this earth because of their superior brain power because we have problem solving skills and big brains and uh, you know we're just we're just smarter than everybody else and opposable thumbs I guess yes uh, but humans are actually historically good top of the animal kingdom dare i say at one other thing do you know what that is no it's endurance running so i don't know the full context here with the with the raptors i would just like to point out that a human over long distances can outrun a horse and like basically any other animal on the planet we have, we're really shitty sprinters we're really really shitty sprinters but over like i'm just pointing this out because you say that they will be chased basically to exhaustion and kill these people until they die.
1: It's just that these raptors, what they're basically getting on is these raptors, once once you've been laser pointed, these raptors will not stop
0: until they get you. Okay, and that's fine. I'm A, taking this as an opportunity to pick apart a movie that I haven't seen, and B, mostly just want to share a fun fact. Humans are really good distance runners.
1: (laughs) So, (laughs) we have Owen and Claire splitting up here. Okay. Two raptors are chasing Owen, who is on a. If you've seen the trailer, a motorbike. Yeah. We have learned. They set. It's your own world. Set your own rules. Just play by it. In Jurassic Park, they state raptors have been clocked at cheetah speeds. Uh-huh. Okay, fine. I don't. I'm. You. Roughly a, sixty miles an hour. I that's believe. a cheetah. Yeah. We know that cheetahs can run that fast. Yeah. So fine. These okay. Can run, these that's can all cap them. Yeah. Perfect. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. Cool. They intercut between the two of them. It's a well put together action scene of the Raptors chasing him on his motorbike. It's through a windy city. So this motorbike can't open up and go as fast as it normally can. So the Raptors are keeping up on his motorbike. Claire is on foot and doesn't get caught. I guess she can run as fast as a cheetah. I guess so. <laughs> They're literally intercutting between these two chase scenes.
0: Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> That's not good.
1: That's the not last funny. one I want to pick on is just a minor thing that is uh, a, a a little bit of a fan service that if you're a fan of this franchise, you probably loved me, not a fan. So it, it made me eye roll. For those of you that know uh, posters or logos, the Jurassic Park logo, the mm-hmm. T-Rex skull inside a circle, right? Yeah. Basic. Yep. At this f- Biosyn f- facility, they don't set it up. You don't. S- you don't see it, but there is a a, a a fountain that is a circle, and the water falls in the inside of the circle. At the end, a T-Rex head goes through and stops perfectly inside the circle for like a second, okay. and then keeps going. Because I wasn't enjoying the movie. You were like, fuck you, I wouldn't yep. do that. <laughs> I, no, I wouldn't say, fuck you, didn't do that. I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But it was a pretty cool shot. But there are a ton of other things that really bothered me. But those are just some of the highlights. I don't want to go too long. I think I went over my 10-minute mark. Yeah. There are a lot of things wrong with this movie. That 38 Metascore is pretty fucking accurate. I'm giving Jurassic World Dominion a two out of five. Which
0: I saw on Letterboxd and is shocking to me.
1: It gets a two out of five because there are a couple. You know what? Fuck it. I want one more fucking complaint. Sorry. Gotta do it. Do it. Again, they set up the rules in this world, and as long as you play by them, I don't I don't have a problem I don't with Don't care it. what those rules are. Yeah, don't care. Just like I said, my my the example i always use is the fucking Twilight series has sparkly vampires. Cool. Fine. They sparkle. I don't give a shit. Just play by your rules. Mm-hmm. This world in the Jurassic World franchise, Jurassic, and the Jurassic Park franchise, is they have stated that if you stand still, a T-Rex will not see you. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense whatsoever. Zero sense whatsoever. But fine. They they literally play by that rule in Jurassic Park. It makes for one of the most exciting sequences in the movie. And because that's a fucking great movie, yes, it doesn't matter. Right. So, in this movie, they they restate it, but apparently, if you move slow, they can't see you either. What? Fuck out of here. There are numerous times, and it's not just T-Rexes, it's almost like all apex predators, because there's like three major apex predators, where if you just move slow, it won't, or... <laughs> If you move slow, they'll move slow. So if you slowly creep away, it will slowly step towards you. There is They try to recreate that incredible scene from Jurassic Park where the T-Rex attacks the Jeep. There is a, I don't know what it's called, a Gigasaurus attacking all of them around a Jeep. And they just keep moving slow and it just keeps moving slow constantly gigantosaurus gigantosaurus yeah okay all right uh it was atrocious to watch this okay i've had
0: my fun i gave it a 2 out of 5 i'm be- su- that's please okay. go ahead i just i want to say that that's a very surprising rating to me
1: okay but... one of the reasons that it escapes a one Is they introduce a new character. Played by Dewanda Wise. Called Kayla Watts. When she came on screen. I flat out said this to Mushhead. Holy fuck she's hot. She is smoking hot in this movie. She is basically. A almost. Han Solo-esque figure in this movie. She is this smuggling pilot. Who is. Quite witty, very capable, and a joy to watch on screen. She was the character I wanted the most. I would watch a movie about this character.
0: Sorry, what was the character?
1: Kayla Watts. Kayla Watts. Played by Dewanda Wise. Gotcha. Okay. Who Who I don't
0: think I recognize from anything.
1: Uh, Let's see. I don't know this fatherhood. Oh, she was in The Harder They Fall, a movie I really enjoyed. Okay and yeah let's see she's got to have it i don't know uh, twilight Zone underground she was in a movie called how to tell you're a douchebag i gotta check out that movie (laughs) yeah i don't see anything else that she's been in that i really know even though she's been working for quite a while but she's incredibly charismatic and uh was a character that i enjoyed she is the reason the movie escapes a one not and not because she's hot. She is incredibly attractive in the movie, but she's really capable and a character that was uh, a lot of fun. She has this great line in the movie uh just after they've escaped those chasing raptors. Uh shit. Oh, I wish I could remember it now. Do you want to know? Oh, god damn it. I'm not going to be able to remember it. That pisses me off. That 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 breaks my heart. Because it was such a great line. Let's see if I can quickly find one. Uh, Ian Malcolm. What was the character's name? Kilowatts. That's not how planes work. That's not it. Hold on. Are you
0: trying to search through the IMDb? Yeah. Uh, the, the quotes page? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, that was my baby. Ah! Oh, yes. Okay, that's it. Uh, so he's, uh, Owen is asking some questions after they've gotten on the plane and just escaped, barely escaped with their lives, asking questions. And she basically sums up what you should do for this movie. Do you want to talk or want to ride? <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Okay, well, I'm glad there was something to enjoy out of this at least. There was. Like I said, a she was a bare glimmer of, of hope in there. Yeah, I will not. I will not be checking out this movie. Don't. Uh, okay, one quick thing. Last thing about
1: Jurassic World. Then we're gonna move on. Okay. I already said I should. I should have said this before. Yes, I've moved. I've ripped this movie apart. But if you if you are like Rachel and somebody that likes the Jurassic World movies, you're gonna like this movie. Despite its 38 Metascore, I guarantee you people that like the Jurassic World movies are going to like this movie. 100%. Without a shadow of a doubt. You pay for a Jurassic World movie, you get one. Yeah, you're going to get one. I don't like the Jurassic World movies, so I went in not expecting to like this movie. I even knew about the 38 Metascore, so I was like, I was primed and ready to not enjoy this movie. And it lived up to my expectations. Two out of five. Wow. Okay. Okay, I went off. I'm really sorry. That no, was a that's, lot longer. That's don't you dare apologize. <laughs> don't you dare apologize for that. That is
0: delightful content. When you have something on your mind that you gotta say, it's uh it's always welcome here. Okay. Your, your name's in the marquee. All right. Sam. Okay. What have you been watching? Manny, can I ask a favor of you just real quick? Could you, you navigate over to my letterbox page real quick? I can. <laughs> you can. To your letterbox page, to mine, yeah, it's just to the to my recently logged films, if okay. you would. The only reason I'm asking you to do this is because uh, we had uh, Emma's nephew staying with us this week, and he is Oops. he is nine years old. Uh, so while I did not get to watch any movies uh, recently, I've been very busy and haven't had a lot of time for watching extracurricular movies. Uh, this week, I watched several. Yeah, and I saw that. And Manny, do you do you notice a pattern in the recent movies that I watched this week? They're all, except one. <laughs> they're
1: all except for one. Um, they would be labeled as family films. Yeah, family films. So yes.
0: everything had to be family friendly. Uh, I did not get to choose a one. I did not get to choose one. Pretty standard. Um, I wanted to watch Ryan and the Last Dragon. I I really fought for it. I really fought for it. And I thought, here's this kid, who like. He will love this movie about this dragon, and I was sur- I wanted to watch. I haven't seen it yet. I still haven't seen it. I'm like, this is my chance to watch this. I watched some good, watched some good movies, some bad movies. Uh, I won't talk about each and every one of them. Okay. Um, first one I will talk about. I was just really upset. I was so one. There was one night where we had two options. One was the movie I was about to talk about, and one was me pressing for Ryan the Last Dragon. And uh, instead, we watched Luca. Oh, yeah. Well, you gave it a four. Yeah, so... Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me at least say this. Uh, the only reason that that one is rated on my letterbox, whereas the others aren't, is because it was my second watch of Luca. Fair. So I just kept the previous rating that I did. Full disclosure, I still feel it's a four, so oh, I will okay. leave it there, but that's the only reason that it has a rating and the other ones don't. Right okay. Um, on the Italian Riviera, an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and and a sea monster disguised as a human. Uh, This came out in 2021 and uh, didn't make my top 10 of the year, but was one I thought was really cute. Uh, There's not a ton in the way of analysis here. It, uh, unfortunately, is... It's not even close to the level of top Pixar movies uh, of old. And, uh, you know, the 71 Metascore is pretty well accurate. I think the friendship between Luca and... uh, I'm trying to find the other character's name. Luca and shit alberto alberto uh, as well as julia the three of them together as a as a as a dream team for this uh, for this race that they're going to be partaking in they have really good comedic chemistry together and i really enjoyed enjoyed them all together some of the more minor characters aren't as funny or witty as they are in other pixar movies y- you think of like my- you think of other Pixar movies, and one of the things that they do so well is their minor characters, and that's something that this movie is kind of lacking in, I think. Big time. Like I think of uh, like The Incredibles, Edna Mode. Yeah. Are you kidding me? One of the greatest characters in the entire universe um like in the Toy Story movies pick take your pick yeah. of the amount of minor characters that are in there. The entire like the entire cast. Yeah. Yeah. All of the all of the uh people that are met on the journey in finding Nemo, the sharks, the school of fish, like they're really good at minor characters. There's one knock I have against Luca and one thing that I really noticed this time around that's really lacking in those charming minor characters. Um at least in my opinion. I agree wholeheartedly. Um but Overall, the heart of the movie is these three kids interacting with each other. And I th- I think they're really cute and really cool. doesn't have the same comedic chops as some of the other movies as well. But the the heart of it, I think, still exists, which is why it still gets a four. It still gives me a case of the warm and fuzzies. Not nearly as much as some of the other ones. But, you know, it. Uh, I still really enjoy it. And I I will revisit this movie. I um, gave that a three. I think you gave it a three. Yeah.
1: Oh, I 100% did not give it a four. No. But I didn't. don't think you gave it a failing grade. No. I just want to quickly... Take a glance at something here, just
0: before we move on from that. Um, one character who is good. Oh wow! The, okay. Okay, go ahead. I was gonna say one character who is good in the movie is the primary villain, uh, Ercole. Uh, he's a just a fucking snotty asshole, and uh, that's the he, villain, right? Yeah, that's the villain. Yeah. yeah.
1: What I wanted to check on is where did Luca fall on our Pixar draft? Probably low. No. Really, fourteen. Fourteen.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, for those not in the know, we kind of play a game off-air with the past and future guests of the podcast. The uh, PFGs. The PFGs, where uh, we'll take a group of movies and sort of draft them in order. We'll take turns selecting movies in certain spots. So, Luca was selected as the 14th best Pixar film out of ooh, how many... Do at the want? time, 24. At the time, 24. So, like, Turning Red wasn't eligible. Correct. Luca was probably the most recent one at that point. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I honestly, I that's probably even a little high and that's not a knock on Luca for me at least. That's a, that's a, that's well, there's a, an appreciation of some of the other films in there. What, what are some of the great ones that it, that it landed above inside out, which is ridiculous, obviously, <laughs> but T-bones an
1: asshole. So, uh, you and I disagree on this one, but I, I would have a bug's life ahead of it.
0: Yeah. I, I have no strong feelings about bugs. Life. I would have Luca above that. And that would be it. Yeah. So it's, probably about right it's probably about accurate i don't know i think i think i did discover what this movie is lacking and why it's not quite top tier pixar i think it's because it's not as funny as the other ones and it doesn't have the same level of minor characters at least those are the main knocks i could find on this time that's fair that's fair but overall i i had a good time with it and it still gets a four it maintains that rating um, where do I want to go from here? I think I will go to the other Pixar movie we watched this week. Okay. I had not seen Turning Red. Oh, excellent. The 2002 Pixar movie. Or sorry, not 2002, 2022. Ooh, you got it in a 22 film too then, Yeah, hey? I did, yeah. So this one wasn't wasn't all lost. <laughs> uh, a 13-year-old girl named Mei Lin turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. And, I mean, that plot synopsis says too excited. Really, it's any strong emotion. Yeah. at all. This one, I... have don't think I had a ton of expectation going in. Uh, I mean, I knew the general plot. Yeah. I hadn't. I didn't feel like I heard a lot of buzz around this one. Every Pixar movie, like when I think of when Soul came out, everybody was telling me to watch Soul. Everybody was telling me to watch it. Well, I was. You would hope so. Yeah. Exactly. Turning Red, I felt like I hadn't heard a lot about it. I hadn't heard a lot of buzz about it, so Not I was quite the demographic. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. And I felt that <laughs> the entire time I was watching this movie, I was like. I want to make this clear. I think it's great that we're getting some some outside representation, a group of uh, a time. demographic that has been severely underrepresented. Forget like Asian Americans for yes. a second, or I guess Asian Canadians in this case. Uh, like young girls, yes, severely underrepresented.
1: And you know what? Just before you continue, I want to say, if you're screaming, saying, "What about all the fucking pri- the Disney princess shit?" That's no, not that, that's yeah. not the same. Like this is real. This human is girls. literally <laughs> about young
0: girls. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I think it's great that they decided to make a movie about this. Yes. I just was so not who the movie was talking to. Yeah. I was so unbelievably not it. Now we know how our girlfriends feel the yeah. majority <laughs> of time that they go to movie
1: theaters. Yeah. We got a we got a slight little taste of what women have been feeling for decades when they yeah. go to the movie theater.
0: Exactly. No, uh, this movie's clearly not aimed at me. I think the uh the character of I think they just call her May. Yeah. In the description she's called Lynn, but I think she's just May. Um, I think she's a fun character. Interesting. I have a little bit of time relating to her, not just because I'm not the target demo, but, um, her being like very much a pushover kind of bothered me. She does tend to grow out of it. That is her arc. But at the beginning I was like, Oh, this character is kind of, kind of spineless. So we do get to grow out of that. So yeah. seeing, seeing that arc is kind of fun. I have no major complaints about the movie. It just, it's just not directed at us. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I think that, uh, when we talked about uh, Basic Instinct, which is a weird movie to bring up when we're talking about Turning Red, but I'm going to go with it. That movie was a three in the sense that it had, like, excellent stuff and terrible stuff. It was a very polarized three. Yes. This one is also a three, but not because it had exceptional moments and terrible moments, but just because it was it was a movie. Yeah. I just watched it, and I enjoyed it. I This will be one I do not revisit. If if you are uh, if you are somebody who has young women in your life, if you're somebody who has uh, uh, little girls of your own, or if you or if you were a young woman at one point, uh, probably worth checking out. You'll probably get something out of this movie. It's just it's very much a movie about transitioning into womanhood. Yes, and I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's that, and I don't know. I just didn't find it too funny. The last, uh, like, Pixar's uh, most recent films, it's not just this one, the comedy feels like it's kind of been waning in a lot of them. Yeah. Even Soul, which is a movie I enjoyed the shit out of, the comedy is not the selling point of that movie. Agreed. Yeah. Whereas it is for a lot of the earlier films, so... Keep going back.
1: Yeah. Onward, not funny. Onward,
0: not funny. That one's supposed to be funny, though, <laughs> so that's a problem. Yeah, um, yeah I-, I don't know. It seems like the 2020s era for Pixar uh, has been going a little more straight uh well let, let me let me dial that back again i was i was going to say it's going a little more straight drama but it's really not because turning red feels like it's trying to be funny a lot of times and i just didn't find it funny i like i i've only seen turning red once mm-hmm. i did enjoy it i too gave it a
1: 3 mm-hmm. but i i wish i could remember like spe- specific moments but i definitely had some really fu- i i know it had some funny moments i know there was times that i was really enjoying it and laughed a few times I just don't remember what they were.
0: Oh, yeah. there, Yeah, there were some great moments in the movie, and I watched this a couple nights ago. I also don't really remember what they were. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Three fine movie. I will watch it again, probably, just not anytime soon. That's okay. Um, I think I'm going to skip the other ones that are on there. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't really want to talk about my little pony all that much That's fair. if I'm being honest. And uh oh what was the other one that Back I have on? Back to the Outback. There? Back to the Outback was a little animated comedy comedy about uh about poisonous animals uh escaping a, a zoo in Australia. Yeah. It was also fun. I have no problems with it. It it requires my, no analysis.
1: My my daughter maybe watched that?
0: Yeah. Uh I thought it was okay,
1: but Pretty Boy, the koala, was fucking hilarious. Okay, you know what?
0: Maybe I will talk about this just briefly. I don't have the synopsis in front of me or anything, but uh, Pretty Boy is voiced by a comedian that I really like named Tim Minchin. Okay. Uh, if you've ever uh, if nope. you've ever encountered him. He's, he's a musical comic. Think Bo Burnham. Slightly different brand of comedy. A little more Australian. A little more... Uh, I don't know, let's say zany and uh, more usages of the word cunt. Okay. <laughs> and also a phenomenal piano player. Like not just for a comedian comedian, but actually like a, an amazing musician. Okay. Um so that's kind of his style. Um I thought he was hilarious. Pretty Boy's a great character, you're right.
1: Pretty Boy got a nominated for best vocal performance for me from last year.
0: Oh good. Yes. I don't even remember that. Yeah, uh, cuz I uh, when well, I I I remember that because I, you're like what fucking movie is that? <laughs> Yeah, I still have no strong feelings about this movie. It will definitely get a three. There's also one moment that I won't say it almost made me cry, but it definitely hit me emotionally. So there's a character in the movie who's like the zookeeper. He's like Aussie zookeeper who's uh, wild and uh, claims to have caught all these animals in the outback. Um, Sorry, I'm going to spoil this movie because who fucking cares? Uh, <laughs> um, It's revealed that he's a fraud most yeah. of the way through. It's uh, about two-thirds of the way through the movie. It's revealed that he's not even actually Australian. He's American. Yep. Uh, and he's just putting on a fake accent. He's not actually a zookeeper. And his origin story of how he became who he is, the words crocodile hunter are never uttered and the words Steve Irwin are never uttered. But we see a clip with him voicing it over, with this character voicing it over saying... I was watching Australian TV and saw a person that I wanted to emulate. And we see an animated person in Steve Irwin's get up with his hair um, doing his thing. Yeah. And he's it talking was, about was... how inspired he was and how he wanted to go work with animals. And I'm not going to lie, as I'm sitting here, I'm getting, I like, feel myself getting a little emotional here. I, it was a really touching. It's, it's a, a really a, and a there, nice it's, tribute. Yeah, but it, it's, it's pretty clear for the majority of the runtime of the movie that they're going for like a Steve Irwin type with this guy and there was a tiny little part of me that was like this is kind of almost a little insensitive the way he's trying to he's treated like a buffoon yeah a little bit yep uh he's almost a comic relief character so then when that tribute comes up and it's revealed he's not actually who he says he is and he's just kind of tributing this nameless hero who's not steve irwin but definitely steve irwin uh, not gonna lie that got me a little bit I know, I know got me a little bit. I, you know what's funny is I forgot about that moment until you started bringing it up yeah yeah. That, so that was cool it's really well done that was cool and Pretty Boy was a good character Pretty Boy is fucking the rest hilarious. of the movie is entirely forgettable yeah entirely forgettable yeah. Uh, so yeah 3 out of 5 for that one as well um, the last movie I do want to talk about actually uh, I want to talk about Breakfast Club Manny uh oh yeah <laughs> I do we've talked about this movie before on the podcast uh oh uh, five high school students meet in Saturday detention and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought. Um, I don't need to read the plot of this movie. Everybody knows this movie. Everybody's seen it. I is, I assume this is one of the most iconic eighties uh, movies. This, this is certainly one of the, one of the quintessential movies of the eighties. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Certainly, when you think of John Hughes, when you think of the eighties, even our our friend from earlier in the podcast, Emilio Estevez, is in this movie. Um, you know, this is this is a quintessential. 80s flick uh and i don't get it (laughs) i I don't get it uh keeping in mind that this came out in 85 yours truly was born in 96 so i came around a good 11 years after this movie was already as iconic as it is yeah um i didn't really watch this movie for the first time until my teens this watch was probably about watch number three or four okay for me and uh, it's been, you know, five, six years since the last one, I thought. Okay. Um, you know, we just wanted something light to put on at the end of the night. I just thought, and they wanted to watch Breakfast Club. So I said, okay, let's do Breakfast Club. This is right. before Nathaniel arrived, by the way. So this is before the nine-year-old was present. It was just me and, me and my girlfriend and her mom. Okay. And I, I just, I still don't really understand what this movie's all about. I mean, that's I I understand it's about, uh, you know, it's the closing lines of the movies. All of us are a jock. All of us are a nerd. You know, we have all these stereotypes that we divide ourselves into. But really, we're all just people. We're all complex. And we all have different backstories that other people won't see and can't possibly imagine and can't possibly fathom. And judging people based off one or two characteristics is shallow. And we can all relate to each other on a deeper level if we really get to know each other. And that's great. And I do get that. I really do. But it's just not funny or charming judd nelson gives a gives a good performance as uh as bender he does okay i like his performance character hasn't aged well mm. uh he's uh sexually harassing and or assaulting um claire yeah claire played by molly ringwald for most of the movie that's kind of uncomfortable on retrospect again do your best to judge the movie in the context which it came out in yes in the 80s this was haha funny I'd like to think we as a society have grown past this. We definitely have where we understand that this is no longer mm-hmm. acceptable behavior. Yeah.
1: As shitty as it is to say that was acceptable behavior back then. Yeah. So, yeah, I am I am glad that we're mature enough to be able to look back on older films and to judge them from the era from which they came. Totally. And not not look at – not judge them. With 2022 20, glasses, sure, but from glasses looking back like that, so yeah,
0: you... it's a little bit of a balancing act, right? Like, yeah. obviously, if we're talking about a movie like uh, like Birth of a Nation, to give an extreme <laughs> example, like extreme extreme example, <laughs> like if we're going back to the 19 teens, a yes. movie that is blatantly racist and uh, is basically propaganda for the KKK and is responsible for reviving that, that's a movie that's considered one of the one of the greats and one of the most innovative movies of all time yep. from a film perspective. Yeah. It is possible to both have that opinion and to say that the world may well be a better place without that movie's existence because of how vitriolic it is. Yes. is. I'm going to pretend that's a word and just move on. I think it's a word. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's like an extreme example. So you got to kind of consider modern and uh, and from the time. Anyway, Breakfast Club. Um, so you, you do get the movie. I do get the movie. You don't get the hype? Yeah. The yeah. acclaim? Yeah what's the deal uh, <laughs> um, there's, there's a criticism that I levy at a lot of movies of this type this sort of uh, 80s rom-com uh, I, and even before that as well I, I usually apply the my, my frequent example for this criticism is Grease and that is as follows it is a movie in a long line of movies which teaches young women that if the boy you like doesn't like you back Just fundamentally change who you are as a person (laughs) and i just think that is so stupid (laughs) and it bothers me it does it bothers me so yeah and there's some good comedic moments in the movie there absolutely are um bender has some good lines um and some good dramatic lines. Like the, the reveal of his uh, cigar burn is a highlight of the movie for me. The scene where they're all smoking weed together is fucking great. Obviously. Um, it's also possible the charm of this movie for me has worn off a little bit because it's been homage so many times. The scenes of them dancing together has been like the montage of them all dancing has been ripped off so many times and homage so many times that it just comes off as a little stale, even though it was first, it was there first, uh, yeah, this movie just does not charm me. And I know that it charms you, Manny. It does. I know that it charms you and it I know does. that you're not really going to disagree with anything that I've said because mm-hmm. it's mostly personal opinion, but it just does not charm me. <clears throat> it doesn't, and it never has. Sorry, your turn. <laughs>
1: it's no, it's totally fair. And mm-hmm. like like sadly, there's really nothing that I'm going to be able to say or discuss that's going to be able to change your opinion or or your mm-hmm. view on it. Um, You're already aware of the big difference is that um, you're living in a world post-Breakfast Club. Yeah. Just like a lot of people – like I've told a lot of people, you know, like they'll – within moments of meeting me, you're going to learn that I'm obsessed with movies. And so the question I get obviously very quickly is, what's your favorite movie? And my reply always is Pulp Pulp Fiction Fiction with Shawshank Redemption a very close second. When I say pulp fiction, if I hear somebody say, Oh, I've never seen it, I always know in my mind, I'm like, you're living in a post pulp fiction world. So if they watch it now, they might be able to watch it and enjoy it, but they're not gonna they're not gonna have the attachment to it that I did, most likely, because you grew up in a world post pulp fiction. Mm-hmm. Pulp fiction changed cinema. So you're going to see Tarantino's fingerprints on all the films afterwards because he was tried especially directly afterwards yes (laughs) so it's while you can definitely still watch pulp fiction and definitely still enjoy it and i would love it if somebody watched it for the first time like this is my favorite movie great awesome but for the majority of people they're going to watch it and they're already going to have seen what this movie did to change cinema Mm -hmm. so it's not going to be as revolutionary for them as it was for me And that's with Breakfast Club. It's the same with Clerks. Totally. And so Breakfast Club is kind of like – almost almost like a 1980s version of Clerks. Mm -hmm. We hadn't seen – like when Breakfast Club came out, I was 10. I probably didn't watch it until I was like 12 or 13. And so seeing it then, seeing basically myself represented on screen, and what I mean by myself is my generation, not Mm -hmm. me personally. Because I didn't really – me personally in high school, I didn't really fit into any one of their five stereotypes that they had. Mm-hmm. I definitely wasn't popular. I was not a bad boy. I wasn't a, I wasn't a geek or a nerd or a, a an A student, and I wasn't a jock, and I wasn't an outcast. I wasn't any one of those. But what I saw is pieces of me in each one of these people. And so the things that they talked about and the things that they were feeling resonated deeply with me. And that was the first time I had ever seen myself – my generation on screen. It's a similar with when I saw clerks, when clerks came out, I was working at a gas station. So I was watching the very conversations I was having with my coworkers on screen for the first time. So for the same reason that it's entirely possible, by the time you get to my age, somebody your age might watch super bad and go, nah, I don't get it. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. So, I don't think in my in my opinion, uh, fully, the level of humor I'm not comparing the two in regards
0: to which one's funnier. I'm actually between wearing Super... my Superbad socks right now, by the way. I nice. just wanna point that out. The Gold Slick Lager. Wicked. Uh, or, sorry, not Lager, uh, vodka. Gold Slick Lager. The
1: the level of humor between Superbad and Breakfast Club aren't is not comparable. Mm-hmm. Superbad is easily a lot funnier. Sure. But I feel the issues and the things that they're talking about, things are bringing up in Breakfast Club are a lot deeper than what they're doing in Superbad. And that's one of the reasons that the Breakfast Club really resonated with people of my generation is that we got to see ourselves on screen represented properly, not just a teenage kid on on screen. We've obviously seen a lot of teen comedies and stuff like that. But this is the first one that it really hit home at what we were feeling and what we were thinking at the time. That's why the Breakfast Club means something to me.
0: Yeah, and I I think... You you raise a lot of good points on that, and I don't want to give the impression that there's nothing relatable or interesting about these characters no, for I a two thousand twenty two audience. I, I know that's not what you're saying, but I didn't I, get that from you. I, I want to emphasize that the divisions uh, part of the charm of this movie, I suppose, that I still do feel, is that they realize that the divisions that they've that they have between them, you know, Jock, popular, Skid. They don't use the term skid, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) That's a a new school term. I I miss (laughs) skids. But the the divisions that they have between them are all societal. And part of the charm of the movie that still resonates today is that the barriers that they've put up between each other are all just illusions. They they don't really exist. They all are struggling with school. They're all struggling with self-image. They're all struggling with their sex lives. They're all struggling with their parents' expectations of them and the charm of the movie that still holds up today genuinely is the fact that they all realize we're all in this together we're all just fucking human beings trying to present some form of self-image trying to project who we who we think we are and separating that from who we actually are there's a lot of that going on in the movie and you're right it is very deep deeper than a lot of modern comedies uh, but it also has its problems that i oh, that i can't get past yeah, so yeah. um I do struggle with this. I, I, I'm going to give it a three, which, which might sound weird because I've shat on this movie pretty thoroughly. It is really charming. But what bo- what bothers me about the movie the most isn't even really the movie. It's the love for the movie. I, I don't think this movie is bad. It's just severely, severely overrated, in my opinion. <laughs> an all-time classic i don't get it but uh oh also we ha- uh, uh, don't want to spend a lot of time on this but how great is the principal? Principal's awesome fucking yeah the principal's fucking hilarious it's got some good characters and some good character moments the ending is very problematic and that's that's where i'll kind of leave it with breakfast Club. okay okay um yeah there were some others this week but i'm gonna leave those for now we've been talking long enough and i don't really care about the other ones so uh oh, fuck. yeah we went long we long, went long, long. How, when did we start like seven we, we've been going for an hour and ten almost, oh we've been my watching. Oh my god! Okay. Well, luckily this week's movie is garbage, so we yeah. won't have to talk about it too much. <laughs> Spoilers! Oh, sorry. I meant is it
2: question mark?
1: <laughs> Suspense. All right. The movie we're talking about is our third film in our 1992 miniseries, and that is the Razzie Award-winning worst picture of the year, *Shining Through*, released January 31st, 1992. Uh, directed by David Seltzer, uh, written by David Seltzer, based off the Susan Isaacs novel, starring Michael Douglas, Melanie Griffith, and Liam Neeson. Uh, it doesn't have a Metascore. We couldn't find it. So I found a couple other scores. Uh, it is a 2.7 on Letterboxd. Out of 5. Out of 5. And a 6.4 on IMDb. That's out of a, 10. That's a passing grade. Yeah. That's well, fucked up. I mean, up. technically, Letterbox is too, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Barely, though. Barely. 6.4 isn't a barely pass. That's a 3.2. That's a mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to at least hypothesize that the reason it gets a passing grade on both those sites is because to watch this movie in the 2020s, you need to actively seek it out and probably be certain that you're going to at least kind of like it.
2: Heldon. This is
0: not going to be... <laughs> this is not going to be found by the casual viewer who's just like oh, I think I'm gonna check out this random war drama that has no reviews.
1: Yeah, quick quick side note about that about about Disney plus, which is where I watch it and where you tried to watch it Yeah there's there's reasons why I couldn't yeah. circumstances yeah but did you know like Disney plus is weird because if it doesn't it doesn't have all of its movies on its platform. No like if you were scrolling through movies, On Disney Plus, you wouldn't find this. You You, need to seek it out. You literally have to search it out. Unless you went into their movie section and said, please list all your movies. But if you're going through the, what would this be? This would probably be under drama. Mm. Their drama queue only, I think, holds 15 movies in there? Like, Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So anyways, um, this uh, didn't win, nor was it nominated for any Oscars. But it did win three Razzies and five nominations. So it won worst picture, worst actress for Melanie Griffith and worst director for David Seltzer, a nomination for worst actor for Michael Douglas and worst screenplay that Michael Douglas nomination. After watching this, it was a kind of a dual nomination. Michael Douglas got for this and basic instinct. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. I don't think Michael Douglas is bad in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's not
0: great, but he is far from bad he's wooden in a couple of parts but not like noticeably actively terrible no just, just not michael douglas's best no uh
1: melanie griffith dev- deserved that win though
0: <laughs> yeah uh um, you don't have a lot of i uh, you're about to uh, say that i don't have a lot of experience with Mel- melanie griffith and you are correct yeah. i is have... this
1: your o- is it your only i think so okay i think so okay um she actually um almost positive I just want to double check. I'm almost positive she has a best actress nomination for Working Girl.
0: Nominated uh, for one
1: Oscar. And that Oscar is wow. Working Girl. Yeah. Okay. Look at you go. I'm going to
0: get into that. Um... She has several Razzie nominations. Several. Oh. Uh, can uh, you list them? Yep. Okay. So starting in 1990, Bonfire of the Vanities.
1: Okay. That is a Bonfire of the Vanities is yeah. an epically troubled production that is known for how poorly it cast everyone in it okay it also stars tom hanks and bruce willis oh really yeah it is that movie is considered like an all-time absolute fucking night like a nightmare of a film
0: okay and then for 1992 we get her win which is shared between shining through and a stranger among us Uh, She is then nominated in 1993 (laughs) The following year uh, For Born Yesterday Okay 95 nominated for uh, Worst Actress for the movie Too Much T.W.O. Much Haven't seen it Don't even know it 96 she wins Worst Actress for Mulholland Falls
1: Mulholland Falls?
0: Yeah Okay 99 nominated for Crazy in Alabama Haven't seen it 2000 nominated for Cecil B. Demented haven't seen 2003 it. uh oh okay that's an australian film institute role for best actress good for you i okay. just kind of assumed it was her so that's what one two three four five six seven eight eight nominations for worst yeah that's a lot that's that's an absolute lot that's eight nominations for worst actress
1: do you know the actress dakota johnson
0: uh yes i want to say 50 shades yeah that's her mom no way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it oh, runs in the family. <laughs> Is she not good? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Dakota Johnson was nominated uh, oh, for, uh, for Razzie for, right. for that. I don't really have a lot of experience Dakota Johnson. That may have been a low blow. Okay. Shout out uh,
1: to Dakota Johnson. This movie had a budget of $30 million. Okay. Uh, it grows 21 in the U.S., 43 worldwide. Bit of a bomb. Bit of a bomb. And the plot? An American woman. Of Irish and Jewish German parentage goes undercover in Nazi Germany now before we get into this movie last week Sam and I both tried to predict what this movie would be about because neither one of us had seen this movie and prior to our preparation for the podcast in the series I'd never even heard of this movie so let's see what Sam and I thought this movie was about.
0: Week, episode 213, third part in this 1992 retrospective. We are going to be talking about the Razzie Award winner for Worst Picture of the Year. We're getting it out of the way early in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, our boy Michael Douglas is, uh, is going to be reappearing on screen in Shining Through. Uh... I am nervous. I'm me, very nervous
1: too. I've actually never heard of this movie. Me neither, Sam. I've never seen this movie. Oh. I also
0: know nothing about it. Okay, Manny, let me let me flip the table. Let me turn the tables on you for a second, I if you, I can. I
1: thought you'd like that, but we're both gonna play. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. Do
1: you want me to go first?
0: Uh, sure. You go ahead. Okay,
1: so. You know what? Actually, it might be better for you to go first because there are a couple things I do know about this movie. Okay. So let, let's let go you first because I actually know a couple things.
0: Well, Shining Through, as you know, Manny, is uh, the sequel to the 1980 horror film The Shining. <laughs> I don't believe Jack Nicholson is recasted. They did recast his character with Michael Douglas. And uh, it is about uh, just walking through the... Uh, is it called the Overlook Hotel? Yes. Yeah, just walking through the Overlook Hotel, hence shining through the the hotel. It's it's actually a very uh, appropriately named movie. All right. Yeah.
1: Now, I saw a still from this film, so I'm pretty sure it's set during World War II. Okay. So I also, th- I think... <laughs> His co-star is Annette Bening? I think. Okay. I know Michael... Obviously, we know Michael Douglas. So I'm going to say it's about a doomed romance in World War II. Mm. And by doomed, I mean they go through a lot of tragedy. Mm Mm-hmm. But they do make it out on the other side. Okay. So the word doomed doesn't really
0: fit in, I think, when I, a, a troublesome... Uh, a, are, are we talking, like, Romeo and Juliet style?
1: No, I'm talking about, like, maybe... Okay, this one I'm going to go with. Michael... This is what I'm going to go with. It is... Uh, uh, it's World War II. Okay. Mm, I hope. World oh. War II, and Michael Douglas is a spy. And he has to lie... To I think like the, I think it's in that bending, but we'll find out. Whoever his love interest is, he has to lie to her, and then she finds out the truth, that caused them to break up, and then he does something to win her back at the end. I'm I'm in favor of it. Okay, okay, that, that's that's shining through. Yeah. All right.
0: Embarrassingly wrong, Manny, as always. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was kind of I I, I kind of
0: happy i nailed the spy thing yeah the spy thing you're bang world war Two spy movie you're bang on with that yeah. annette benning not in the movie unfortunately oh, man it's a swing and a mess on that one hold on M- might be
1: a, l- a little bit of spoilers i guarantee this movie would probably be good with annette benning in the melanie griffith role
0: yes or far 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 better
1: there are still problems. There are some problems, and I. I but I, as we get into this movie, I'm going to tell you right now, this one of the reasons that this movie was frustrating for me is it has the core base to be really fucking good. The idea and the story of this movie is unbelievable, mm-hmm. and this role, this role should have been an Oscar nominated role, mm-hmm. not a Razzie award winning role. Which, this, yeah, it's really unfortunate. This role for women is unbelievable.
0: And it's especially for 92. It's woefully miscast.
1: Yeah. Okay, it's terrible. Uh your guess was uh, really wrong, but we both know that you were just having some fun yeah. and not making a real I'm guess. always having fun, Manny. Yeah. Never not. Uh yeah. So, Sam,
0: your spoiler-free thoughts on Shining Through. I want to get one thing buttoned up before starting. Uh, Dakota Johnson, uh, two Razzie Award nominations. One for Fifty Shades of Grey, one for Fifty Shades Darker. Ouch. Get that uh, buttoned up on there. Also, not, uh, co-nominations for Worst Screen Combo. But I, those are for the same movies, so I skip that. Um, Yeah. Shining Through. This is a bad movie. Uh, this... Was this was the winner for worst picture of the year? Rightfully so. I watched this one alone. I didn't uh, subject this to the people that I live with. Um, I would get very bad secondhand embarrassment from this one. Sometimes I just get, if I'm watching a bad movie, I will, uh I will get very bad secondhand embarrassment. This would be one of them. God, this was my introduction to Melanie Griffith. I'm apolog- apologizing in advance to any diehard Melanie Griffith fans. She is very bad in this movie. She is. uh i don't want to really harp on it all that much not believable not at all not at all believable as somebody who is a trained spy the character is not the greatest oh, how can i put this the writing in this movie isn't always great we will definitely get into that as the plot goes along and she makes some questionable decisions the main reason that i was actually excited to talk about this movie is because I do feel uniquely qualified to talk about one thing, and that is the fact that Melanie Griffith speaks or attempts to speak uh, a lot of German <gasps> in the movie.
1: Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah,
0: I feel oh. uniquely qualified to talk about that. For those who don't know me, I'm not I'm not fluent in German, but I have been to Germany a few times. I consider myself conversant. I get by. Uh, her German is very, very bad also.
1: Oh, I didn't even think of that. How exciting.
0: yeah that's a word for it (laughs) yeah it's exciting um there there are aspects where it comes and goes like um one of the moments i found especially impressive as far as her german was concerned is when it flashes forward to her as an old lady speaking german to herself when she doesn't even realize she's doing it i was like oh shit okay she's just kind of going whatever um but for the majority of it it's it's really bad it's certainly not spoken with the accent of a berlin butcher's wife i can tell you that (laughs) (laughs) Unless Berlin Butcher's Wives just sound like that, in which case, wow, they sound an awful lot like Melanie Griffith just talking. (laughs) Uh, So she had no language training at all leading up to the movie. That much is clear to me. There's moments where she's just straight up mispronouncing words, like not even her accent is bad. She's just not saying the words properly. She's pronouncing them the way they're spelled in English, the way she thinks that they sound. She just she's just reading them. She's just sounding them out, and oh they're wrong. Oh, my
1: God. This and, is so amazing. I completely forgot about this aspect.
0: Yep. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> um, Michael Douglas is also not great in the movie, uh, but you can't blame him because he's working with somebody who's not giving a very good performance at all. Uh, there are moments where he certainly wouldn't. Like, there's really There's a moment on a train at the end of the movie, which should be just the most romantic... Tear-jerking moment of the movie. Are you talk like not on the train. I'm talking about where uh, she is in his arms when you know about after they get off the train. Well, I'm talking about when he's holding her. Um, when they're sitting down, when uh, she asks if she, uh, I'm, oh I'm oh you are talking this about, this about on the train. Yeah, I'm talking about on no, the no, train. No, we're not spoiling okay. it.
1: Okay, don't just because this movie is a movie you don't enjoy doesn't okay. mean that we should spoil okay, it. Okay, it, all right, but she
0: asks him a question. Okay, yeah, actually, that's that fair. should have been one of the most romantic moments between Michael Douglas and let's say Annette Benning. Oh my God. That is a tear jerking, mo- a beautiful moment, but because she is not a good actress in this movie, I'll be fair to her. Despite the eight Razzie award nominations, I've only seen her in this. So yes. I'll judge her on this. She's not doing a good job in this movie. <sighs> and for the majority of this runtime, Michael Douglas is trying. He's fucking trying. He really is, but you can only muster up so much emotion when there's none on the other side. There's none, uh, so that's that's really unfortunate to see that uh, their chemistry is really 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 lacking. It's one of the main problems with the movie is that they just have no chemistry because they have no acting chops uh, in this movie. Um, I know that I agree with you that the role is meaty and that oh, it should have so been good. It should have been better cast. Uh, But I don't think that the acting is the sole problem in the movie. I know that's not what you're implying, but I just like to get that out of the gate right away. This movie's kind of a writing mess as well. It's a little bit all over the place. The dialogue is not horrendous. We've seen worse dialogue on the show. We really have. But in the hands of good actors, they can at least kind of make it work. Having bad writing makes bad acting even worse. So it's kind of a a cyclical thing. Furthermore, so in addition to the script being bad, the movie can't decide if its central focus is on her romance with Ed, her friendship with what's her name, (laughs) whose name I can't remember. Marguerite? Marguerite. Uh, Her being a spy or training to be a spy, which she can inexplicably do for some reason. Or her family. Her family is should play a larger role in this movie, it feels like, and is barely in it. Um, So it feels like there is a lot of stuff in this movie could have maybe benefited from another round of rewrites, let's say. Trim the fat, I I feel. Uh, It also suffers from the most... (laughs) Non-spoiling. I have this phrased a certain way in my notes, but it's a bit spoilery. Something that I think they thought was a lot more hidden than it was let's say a character has some ulterior motives in the movie one of the minor characters has some has a has an ulterior motive in the in the movie this is the most obvious thing of all time like, the way it is written into the movie is just this is obvious from the very first scene with this character that this person is not to be trusted
1: really interesting
0: yeah, that's how I felt anyway. Again, uh, like we were talking about with Jurassic World, when you're watching a movie you don't like, you're looking for these things to pick apart. and Like, oh, that's obviously stupid. And I'm not trying to be like that, but I am kind of being like that. It's There was an aspect of the movie that was supposed to come as a huge surprise that just very much did not for me. Uh, and that was also a problem. Anyway, um, main problem with the movie... Unfortunately, is Melanie Griffith's performance. Michael Douglas, also not good, but not nearly as bad as we would be led to believe by the Razzie nomination. The script, unfortunately, has some problems with it, um, in particular the dialogue and some of the nonsensical nature of it. Um, when Manny first came to me before the, I believe it was the 1994 series that we did, maybe, yeah, 1994 series that we did, uh, with the idea to do the Razzie nominees as well, I was kind of hesitant to really hop on board that because I didn't really want to just have podcasts of us shitting on a movie just for the sake of it. Don't get me wrong. It's a ton of fun. But I didn't know how much I would actually get out of it. Because for me, this podcast is also an opportunity to learn. to, To watch some movies that I wouldn't have seen otherwise, learn some things about this art form that I like a lot. I was wrong in that I thought I would not learn anything from these movies i do it, it is still technically learning to learn what not to do when we're watching oscar nominee after oscar nominee after oscar nominated performance after oscar nominated performance it's really easy to just fall back into the habit of just hey that person was really good in this role and not elaborate further yep uh so having a couple of bad ones in there actually makes the good ones pop a little bit more and makes you understand and appreciate them a little bit more, oh, I'm in glad. my opinion. So oh, I, I, I did that. get something out of this movie. Unfortunately, it wasn't enjoyment in and of the movie itself, but I did have a good time and I'm glad we did it. Okay. Uh, Manny, I've been talking for a little bit. Why don't you hop in, Shining Through? That was really well said. Okay.
1: God, I love podcasting with you. <laughs> um, I don't feel Michael Douglas was as bad as you say. Mm-hmm. Again... I don't think it's a great performance, but him getting a worst actor nomination is, I think for me personally, uh, I think, let me just quickly do this and I just need to do this and this and this, this. okay. So I think for me, one of the reasons that I don't feel Michael Douglas is as bad as his nomination says he is, is because I've been watching a lot of movies from 1992. I think I've done 37 films so far. You're a fucking animal. Yeah. I'm having a a really good time revisiting these films, even though the films themselves have been really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And I've watched some truly horrible films. Spoiler alert. For the reveal at the end of this, I'm not even done yet. But I have four films that I've given a one star to, four. Wow. And there was a movie I watched last week where that performance should have been Razzie nominated, and that was John Goodman as the Babe. Oh, right. It was not good. I Which would, sucks because
0: we like John Goodman.
1: Yes, I would 100% watch this movie again over the Babe. Now. Being a baseball fan, it's a, a hard watching them fuck up. <laughs> the greatest player of all time, so that's one of the reasons I didn't like it. But a movie I talked about earlier, Free Jack, Emilio Estevez is not good in that movie. Michael Douglas is better in this than Emilio Estevez and Free Jack. So, well, that would have been a supporting role. But Keanu Reeves in Dracula, there's another one that's not good. So, I don't feel that his performance. I, again, I don't. I'm not saying his performance is good. Uh, it's just not. I don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. Melanie Griffith is flat out atrocious. This role, I I feel, is one that, could, in the right hands, and a little bit of help with the rest of the movie, could have garnered an Oscar nomination. This is a fantastic role for a woman. This is a woman in 1940s America, in the middle of the war who is not afraid to stand up for herself, stands up to men, will not be pushed around, will not be used by men, who is strong-willed, capable, and is willing to put her life at risk numerous times to do this job to both help her country, but at the same time, try and save her family that is in Berlin. This is a role that people kill for, and... The fact that Melanie Griffith got it and just butchers it is so bad. Like I said in my uh, prediction of what this movie is, as I reheard myself say that I thought it was Annette Benning, all I'm doing now is just picturing Annette Benning in this role. And I'm like, this movie would be so good with her in this role. That scene at the end, which we will get to, that scene, I agree. I should be crying in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I should be crying at what happens after they get off the train. Hundred percent. Like I was watching them. I'm like, this is the type of, these are the kind of movie moments that you tell your friends about. Like that would have been so incredibly powerful and great. And instead, you're just looking, watching at it, going, "Okay." So, I agree. There are some writing problems. Uh, the movie's trying to bite off a little bit more than it can chew uh, you did mention that you'd want to trim some of the fat what did you have in mind about like what would you want to cut out the the hidden, the family aspect in Berlin or
0: yeah I'm not sure I don't, um, I don't... I, it's entirely possible that trimming the fat isn't the right term but it just feels like the movie has it's climax kind of at the wrong part I guess well I guess technically the climax is is the train sequence. Um to me it as I was watching the movie it felt like the climax was uh the scene with the bath being run. Okay? Uh, it felt in the, in, in the apartment. Yeah, in the apartment. That felt like it was the climax of the movie and it felt like a weird moment to have the climax. Okay. In retrospect the climax was probably on the train, but it it just felt like it had all of these it's difficult to talk about non-spoilers, but I'll, I'll say this: the plot with uh, Liam Neeson doesn't get uh, wrapped up really in a satisfying way. Okay. Um. So th- there's some there's some writing problem. It, trimming the fat might be the wrong term, but it okay. felt like the it felt like there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of balls in the air as far as the plot tightened. Yeah, just tightened a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. We can have a movie where she where she has. Uh, a desire to help her country and a romance on the side and a family to assist in berlin and this other family that she's nannying for you know we can have a movie with all that but i, I felt like each of those plot points kind of suffered a little bit the more that was added the less attention was paid to each of them tightened
1: okay okay that that makes sense because yeah. when you said trim the fat i was like i'm like i don't know where you can cut like mm-hmm. it's a shitty movie you could can- Probably cut two hours and twelve minutes of it. It'd be better for it. Uh, okay, um, so let's let's get into the film um, itself. Oh, just please, sir. real
0: quick, one more thing. Uh, Annette Bening, good cast, easy easy pick. But like Meryl, because she actually speaks German as well. Meryl in this role, maybe a little too old already at that point. No, no, no. In ninety two, no, maybe she'd be, not. She'd be fine. Trust me. Yeah, she she would be just fine. She could do it. Yeah, that's, I mean, dream casting because she could, you could throw her in anything, but uh, Meryl because she speaks German. Any woman that
1: can portray a level of self confidence would have been a massive upgrade. And that's the problem with Melanie Griffith is that this woman is someone who is self assured and confident, and Melanie Griffith does not display
0: that at all. I, I can't stress that enough. That is something that I thought, but didn't know how to put into words. That is absolutely the problem with her performance. It lacks any sort of confidence. I mean, it lacks a lot of things, but I think I I hate to say it. I think a part of the problem is her voice.
1: I don't. F- her voice doesn't annoy me. It's just monotone. It's it's monotone and a little high pitched, so it doesn't come across as commanding, which is what this role needs.
0: Yeah, it, at moments, it really felt like she was just reading off a page. It really felt like she was just reading off the script for the first time. She was just sight-reading it.
1: Ugh, so bad because I, th- this, this fucking story is incredibly interesting and intriguing. Like, if, if someone would ever take a crack, if someone with some really good writing skills would we'll take another crack at this novel. Mm-hmm. This sto- like this would be a compelling story. This It's got
0: cr- it's got the bones of a of a good story. It's got the it's got the skeleton yeah. already there. It I, does. Fuck. <laughs> we could we could have used this for a remembrance day film. Um, <laughs> all right. I'd rather forget this one. Yeah. <laughs> we're going
1: to redo this this year for a remembrance day film. Oh god. Uh all right. Let's get into spoilers. Let's let's wrap this movie up. We're going to we're going to zip through this as quickly as we can. Uh, spoilers for shining through in three, two, one. I go fuck yourself. Uh, weird title scene. The roll up of the of the actual title card. It, yeah. it rolls up like this. I don't get it. Mm. And also, shining through.
0: What I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I have no idea. You are much better at this kind of stuff than me. I was hoping you would have. No, an dude. Answer. I have nothing for you. Okay. I, have, I have no idea why this is shining through. Okay. I, I don't know. Uh.
1: As the credits are rolling, did you see who the cinematographer was? Yann debont. There we yeah. go. <laughs> um,
0: I guess we didn't really touch on this in non-spoilers, but the cinematography was good. Yeah. At point, not. I mean, Yann Bont's a talented filmmaker, or would go on to be a talented filmmaker. There are moments where the cinematography felt weird. There are moments where people are out of focus, and it doesn't feel intentional. Um, additionally, again, the kind of thing that you only look for when you're watching a movie you don't enjoy. Yep. Yep. There's more than a couple of moments where um, there's a moment at the end where I can't remember what exactly is happening, but Melanie Griffith is entering a house. The camera is already in the house, and she's walking towards it, and the camera's kind of backing up as she's entering. You can see the walls and the doors kind of flutter in shape. And it, they, they kind of distort their shape a little bit. And oh. the, only, the only explanation I have for this is that I assume it's the cinematographer's fault. Jan de Bont, I assume, had too wide of an angle lens on. Like, you know when they get the really crazy fisheye lens? Yeah. I think he was using a little bit too wide, wide angle lens in that scene. So the the doors, as he's backing up, are kind of just distorting. Oh, not Not in a, not in a super noticeable way. But, like, it's the kind of thing where I was like, did that door frame just change shape? What the fuck? And interesting again there was a couple moments like that where it was like little mistakes that he would go on to correct in his own filmmaking yeah. but it felt they, again the skeleton was there as far as the cinematography but there's little moments of the wrong lens being used or characters being out of focus it's, it's kind of a mess alright
1: um, not very good aging makeup on old Melanie Griffith no not the greatest I think it's because we're used to a lot better now and I think I think part of it honestly is that Uh, we're watching it in high definition. Mm -hmm. And so when we're watching it on a big screen in high definition in our homes, we're seeing a lot more detail than probably
0: what they were expecting us to be able to see. Yep. And it shows. An interesting thing that I like in some of these older movies, when we see people in old age makeup, I like seeing how close they were. (laughs) Because now Melanie Griffith is is quite a lot older. She's yep. 30 years older than she was in this movie. And now we get to see what she actually looks like. And they weren't close. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair.
1: Um, the flashbacks begin. This movie kind of won my heart at the beginning. Linda is into movies.
0: Big time. Totally. She's dropping movie references all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I was that, like, that, oh, I'm like... Ooh.
0: That was really cool. I'm like, okay, why did this get worse picture? I'm I, about to find out. Uh, One of the things that you forgive in a better movie is the fact that she learns a lot from being a spy from movies yeah that is such a self-righteous screenwriter's plot point (laughs) screenwriter being like we know everything she would she would learn everything she knows from about being a spy from movies obviously not the case um i'm this movie's not good so i'm gonna zip through stuff quick
1: go ahead so i'll stop you if i if i have anything uh they get a letter from germany we hear in the letter that hitler thinks hair from a jew is infectious mm-hmm. they can't even get their hair cut. uh she wants to be a spy she
0: watches um michael douglas arrive and get these protesters to leave i like how he just asks them to leave and they're like okay no conflict he's like you need to get out of here and they're like okay <laughs> yeah they're the most easygoing protesters ever um there is a song somewhere in here. I think it's over the Michael Douglas scene. Okay. I really like the music in this movie, actually. I mean, oh. the score is... It's fine. A, the score is a score. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but the music itself is era-appropriate, and there's at least two tracks that I recognize. Oh, nice. One from when I was a young trumpet player in a jazz band in high school. A song called In the Mood. Very nice swing tune. Very era-appropriate. And then another one called I'll Be Seeing You. Okay. Uh, sung originally by Billie Holiday, I think. Um, their version of the movie is Okay. But the original song I really like, all right, <laughs> fucking music nerd. I know, <laughs> fucking band geek, yeah, the soundtrack was really good, and the score was a score. yeah, the score was it went neither way for me, yeah, uh, she goes to interview,
1: and I enjoyed I enjoyed the scene. uh I love that she stands up for herself here because she didn't go to the correct school mm-hmm. and uh, this was a nice start. But I think this is also where I realize, I'm like, they picked the wrong person for this movie. And she uh, ends up speaking some German to uh, a cleaning lady that -hmm. makes a mistake. uh, And she gets a job because they now realize that she can speak German. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she starts to interpret for the people at this. I I don't even remember what this place was.
0: I think, is it implied that it's like CIA or I guess it's military technically because he's a colonel? Yeah, whatever. Um, Some sort of intelligence office? I don't know. Possibly. But
1: if it's an intelligence office, would they want to be known as intelligence office? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? Hmm. Uh, She meets uh, Michael Douglas, uh, who plays Ed Leland. Uh, It's another uh, decent scene. Again, a different actress, and this scene carries more weight. But she stands up for herself here. Uh, He... He he says something which she takes as almost like uh Like an advance. An advance or, or a uh a, 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 a sexual thing because he has her stand up and turn around.
0: Yeah, it's little, she interprets it as a little bit demeaning. Yeah. Like he just wants to look at her.
1: And we learn that it's not. He's actually testing her to see her to test her powers of observation. Mm-hmm. And uh it's a nice it's a nice scene that I enjoyed. Uh, it's kind of plays with the format a little bit, but again, anybody other than Melanie Griffith and her standing up for herself here, it's like an is,
0: oh shit moment,
1: yeah. Uh, it's so bad. Uh, she starts to dictate weird letters for him, uh, which are obviously coded the messages, most
0: obvious codes of all time. This was one of the things that took me out of the movie right out of the gate. Like, I, I'm still giving the movie the benefit of the doubt, yeah, I mean, for the entire thing, but really at the beginning, but. The fact that these fucking intelligence operatives, or whoever the fuck these people are, are writing the most obvious codes of all time, having this translator translate them who obviously knows what's happening. Like, the amount of ineptitude in this office is staggering. These people have no fucking idea what they're doing. Yeah. Again.
1: It's, uh, if this was based on real life, it's any wonder that we won the war. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, this is this was one of the things that bothered me. Like again, we're going to continue to harp on Melanie Griffith's performance, probably. Uh, but I don't want to give the impression that it's the only thing. Like, there's these little writing mistakes in the movie, like this, which really prevent it from going over the top to being a really great drama.
1: Yeah, this, like we said, this movie has the bones and the structure to be an incredibly incredible film mm-hmm. with an incredible role for a woman, which especially in nineteen early 1990s, is fucking just, rare. Yeah, just did not happen. Blech. Uh, She brings up another movie. Uh, Ed reveals his wife is in a sanatorium. She calls him out saying that he's a spy. She completely breaks him down.
0: This doesn't really come back, does it? The wife thing. Remember, his wife's not in a sanatorium. That's all a lie. Oh, okay. That's a flat-out lie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's part fair. of his cover story. Yes, fair enough. Okay.
1: okay. All right. Uh, So Ed and Linda start to get a little bit closer. Uh, She gives a chaplain quote, more film references, so it's kind of winning me over a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a little bit of flirting, I guess. Uh, And then, boom, cut to a love scene. And we can definitely... This couldn't have worked out better for us because last week we review Basic Instinct with Michael Douglas, uh, which, if I'm not mistaken... Wasn't Jan de Bont the cinematographer on that film as well? I'll have
0: to double check. Maybe Jan de Bont just really likes shooting Michael Douglas naked.
1: Okay. Check that for me. But we have David Seltzer shooting this love scene. And we have... Um, gosh darn. Uh, Paul Verhoeven shooting the Basic Instinct love scene. Cinematographer on Basic Instinct.
0: Jan de Bont. Perfect.
1: Okay. So we have the same cinematographer, but two different directors. So we know that this is where we can definitely see the difference in a director's vision. Now, if you have no experience with Paul Verhoeven, that's sad because you should take care of that because the man is a, he is an incredibly gifted filmmaker, but he is a European filmmaker who has is not shy about showing off both the male and the female body and has no problem with filming sex scenes. In fact, some of the best cinematography work in Basic Instinct is in the sex scenes. He knows how to shoot them. He knows how to make them look good. He knows how to make them look sexy. He knows how to make them look fun. All of that. This is brutal. Yeah, this and is And I'll be perfectly honest, I don't think I'd be I don't think I'd be shitting on these love scenes as harsh if I hadn't just watched Basic Instinct.
0: Totally. Some of the most iconic sex scenes in the history of cinema.
1: Yeah. And this is not good. But I got to see some boobies.
0: Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Just camera on the boobies and you're, you're bailed out. I uh, don't know
1: if you... Rem- oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to... Uh,
0: I want to quick- touch on this. Uh, I think we've gone a little bit past this, but there's a whole conversation between the two of them in, uh, in his office where uh, he just randomly starts going into his backstory and his past and... He says something like, "It's why it is that I don't trust anybody." They say it has something to do with my upbringing, and he just starts talking about his childhood randomly. At one point, I'm just like, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" Oh, it, it, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was bad. Anyway, I just um, to touch on that. So we get another scene
1: where Linda starts to uncover a secret from the other interpreter. He's not interpreting things correctly, and. This is where I have the note exactly as written. She's not confident enough for this role. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's hard to pinpoint what it is, but a stronger action, a stronger actress could make this work.
0: 100%. I've I've got no, uh, no counter offer to that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Pearl Harbor occurs. Looks like America's going to war. Uh, She goes to the Washington airport with them. He wants her to set up his office for him and she gets stuck in the information center, like in the basement um, sorting files and info on Germany. And she learns that
0: he's referred to as soldier. This is just, this is also painful writing at this point. I thought this is what the movie was going to be. By the way, at this point I was like, is this movie just her deciphering code and learning where this guy is for the entirety of the movie and keeping up with him and kind of stalking him via translated code. Because if so, wow, we were in for a boring ride. Luckily, the movie wasn't that bad. It wasn't, wasn't that. But that's where I thought the movie was going at this point. But again, these people need to be better at writing codes if this person who is not a trained spy can just read this and go like, oh, Michael Douglas is here. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is not not a good thing to happen
1: your code anyway the other thing we actually didn't remark upon and it's one of the one of the myriad of reasons that this film doesn't work uh and most likely is the reason why it won worst picture there is zero chemistry between michael douglas and melanie griffith and i think again i think it's even more pronounced because of what we watched last week where the chemistry between michael douglas and sharon stone is
0: red fucking hot I just kind of attribute the lack of chemistry here to Melanie Griffith's performance, if I'm being honest. Okay. Like, Michael Douglas almost seems like he's trying to hide how angry he is at times. It's not like he's emotionless. He just seems frustrated in a couple of different scenes. He seems like... He just knows that this movie is better than this performance and he just has nothing to work off of. It's like he's talking to a brick wall at a, at a couple of different points in the movie. You can you can really see him struggle with it a couple times. But yeah, he's he's certainly not uh, not good himself. Uh
1: okay, hold on. Can this, you uh
0: Uh yeah, okay. So the following scene uh is where they encounter each other at a ball. So he does come back to the country at one point uh without a word to her. Um, this is where the song I'll be seeing you is being sung. And again, this is this is one that I really like. So I, I'm already warm up, warming up to this scene a little bit. Uh, there is a moment in the scene where we get a shot of the band all holding their instruments and strangely we don't see them playing it. We don't see any of them playing their instruments, which is really unfortunate. It's just a, a one of the one of these small things that you notice. A shot of the band holding saxophones and trumpets and trombones, and not a single one of them brings it to their mouth to play until they're out of frame, and then you hear the horns. Oh, which yes. Is, which is what happens. Uh, uh, well, you, you find what you were looking for? Okay,
1: well, you talked about how Michael Douglas was angry. Yeah. So I was kind of wondering, I'm like, is he angry because he filmed this after Basic Instinct? Mm-hmm. But he filmed this before Basic Instinct. So I thought maybe he's angry. He's like, I can't believe I'm doing this piece of shit when I just had one of the fucking red-hot fucking scripts yeah. and red-hot fucking scenes or films in my life. But yeah. he filmed Shining Through before Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's too bad. I was kind of hoping that would work out. Um, at the USO dance, he, she's longing for Ed, won't even dance with another guy. Mm-hmm. And he arrives with a woman on his arm. And she just stares now,
0: oh, go ahead, I was gonna say this is forgiven very quickly. this is okay, it is very
1: quickly. This is the only scene where I think she's good mm-hmm. she's actually she plays that she's hurt really well mm-hmm. in the scene, and I think it's because yet again, I think Melanie Griffith is not she's not the strongest. she's not a strong actress, but she can play this end of the spectrum really well. she can play hurt and
0: meek really well yeah like low energy Uh, things that require not a ton of uh you know range i guess her dialing it back yeah there's not a lot to dial back
1: yeah uh the late i don't know if you remember if you can remember the lady that michael douglas walks in with but she remind she reminded me of agent carter oh interesting i don't remember her oh i was like oh it's agent carter but uh he asks her to dance. She's all poopy. Uh, they start to talk. He's so casual. She's so hurt. Um, she tries to call him out on his bullshit. He grabs her, and a soldier steps up.
0: Uh, I don't think she wants to dance. Yeah. Good on that soldier, by the way. That, yeah. that man's wearing an officer's uniform, and he steps in and says, Excuse me, sir. I don't think she wants to dance.
1: I know. I was like, wow. And um, I, I wrote down, would he actually do this, considering that he's a ranking no, officer? No, I don't
0: think he would. I mean let's put it this way. Few. Yeah. Few would do this. So good on this. I, I, I mentally applauded this, this soldier here. Um, he steps in, they, they start to dance. He steps in and then threatens the soldier. It's good to have rank, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Uh, don't try it or I'll leave with your Adam's apple in my pocket. That's the line. They, uh, they start to dance and she starts to cry on him. Uh, and then it's just not really resolved. This is never referenced again that she's angry at him. She just goes right back to work for him. Yep. And it's ridiculous. Uh,
1: so if we want to
0: trim some of the fat here, I guess
1: maybe that's a lot of stuff here we could trim because now this next scene is it sets up what this movie's actually about. Uh, Ed shows that his spy was killed and they need a replacement. And again... Because Melanie Griffith isn't strong enough, isn't confident enough, her shooting down their ideas comes across as kind of whiny and complaining when this should be... You know who would be great in this role? Who's that? She literally plays the exact type of person that stands up to men in a male-dominated person, Jessica Chastain from Zero Dark Thirty.
0: Fuck yeah. Obviously not uh, the right age or anything like that, but if they remade this movie today, if we're you and I in our dream world are recasting this movie today and getting it made properly Jessica Chastain totally yeah absolutely
1: like that scene in zero dark 30 where uh James Gandolfini is she's uncovered where she thinks Osama bin Laden is and ever all the guys around her like oh we're 60% sure he's there he might possibly be there and she's like 100% 100% he's there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the mother and like I'm the motherfucker that found this place. Like yeah. that that performance in this role Oscar
0: nomination. Sweet. Yeah. Ugh. I'm very much in favor of it. Fuck. I got to watch Molly's game still. The next the next day that I have free, I've already decided I'm watching Molly's game. I've decided it. Finally. I just don't have a free day until the end of time. <laughs>
1: she offers to be a spy. Ed, not a fan of this
0: idea. Because it's stupid. He's correct to not be a fan of this. (coughs) She has no spy
1: training. But they decide to do it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she shows up at his place with snacks to show that she can cook, apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wants him to try it and i guess her f- cooking's good so she can be a spy there that's all it takes just be a good cook one of the thing i noticed uh, you mentioned earlier on that it's almost like she's reading off cue cards in her delivery i realize that she doesn't give any breaks in her speech mm-hmm. it is quite monotone yeah and it is almost like she's just reading it she doesn't have any she doesn't give much inflection she doesn't give any thoughtful pauses and anything like that. It's a it's a pretty bad, pretty bad performance. Ed decides it, and worthy of the win. What are the other nominees?
0: Are you talking about uh, her movie. or are you talking about him? Her. Right. Okay. For the uh, Razzies.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, oh. ah. Have you seen many of these? I've seen Lorraine Bracco. She got a double nomination. Uh, she, uh, Lorraine Bracco in Medicine Man. I don't remember it being bad. I watched that movie. I didn't like it. Uh, and then the other one, Traces of Red, never seen it. Um, Kim Basinger in Cool World and Final Analysis. I haven't seen that, but I Whitney Houston in the Bodyguard, which we will
0: be reviewing for this podcast. Right. That's a that's a famous famous movie.
1: I don't really know a lot about it. I'm so excited. Yeah.
0: I know that the soundtrack is the reason that this movie is as famous as it is, or one of the reasons that it's as famous as it is.
1: I wanted to say something, but I shouldn't. Mm. My prediction is you're not going to like that movie. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Anyways, um, Ed decides to let her go for two weeks. That's definitely enough time to infiltrate a higher echelon uh, German officer and for her to ingratiate herself
0: to get enough trust to find the information that she needs. Apparently, it's not enough time to learn how to cook a dove.
1: No. (sighs) So, uh, she gets a super secret purse. Yes, she does. Yep. Um, Ed comes along and passes her off to uh,
0: Sunflower. Is this really appropriate? Uh, her Like, they're just kind of flying. Uh, how I guess there's no such thing as a passenger airline at this point. But, like, they're flying overseas. And it just feels weird that they're traveling together. You know?
1: They're not flying into Germany.
0: Yeah. I think they fly into
1: probably Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there would. Still,
0: it feels like Switzerland being neutral territory. It feels like that there's probably Germans in Switzerland. Yeah. Probably hiring German officials. It well, just feels weird that they would travel together. He's
1: obviously taking all the precautions. The man knows how to write coded messages. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, she meets Sunflower, uh, Sir John Gilgood. Uh, very famous actress from... Famous actress. Famous actor from the early part
0: of the uh, 20th century.
1: He They speak in German. How is their German?
0: Uh, not good. It's okay. very noticeable here. And you know what? Smart decision by the movie. Credit where credit's due. Yep. Smart thing by the movie. As she's speaking in her atrocious German, where she has the exact same inflection as she does in English, she's just Melanie Griffith reading, having that same cue card reading tone. Yep. Um, and... Pronouncing most words correctly, uh, we get a cut to her speaking German to herself as an older person uh, in the interview. Yes, and per, and the interviewer goes, "Excuse me, uh, you're speaking German right now," and she's like, "Well, yeah, I remember it in German. It happened in German." He said, "Well, remember it in English." And then we cut back, and it's in English. I gave a, I gave, I tipped my imaginary cap at that point. I'm like, "Okay, smart decision." Like. It's kind of, I've never seen this movie, but it reminds me of your description of The Hunt for Red October. Yes! How it's like, hey, just pretend this is all in Russian. Obviously, it would be all in Russian, but it's actually going to be in English for your purposes. Same thing here. It's in German, but we're not going to see it in German because that's no fun. Yeah. We're all going to watch it in English here.
1: Yeah. We forgot to mention, not that it matters, that this movie has a, a narrative hook. Her doing the interview, yes, off off the top of the yeah, off the top yeah. of the movie. She's doing an interview on the BBC, recanting this story to them,
0: talking about her getting railed by her boss and yeah. the CIA or whatever this yeah. was. <laughs> she gave all the details of that.
1: Which we find out later that her sons are in the audience. Yeah, so that must have been fun. I got fucked so hard by Ed in his uh, in his bachelor pad with a fire uh,
0: burning by. Then we got a little too tired doing that, so then we had to switch positions, and I put my leg up. No. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I imagine that's probably what was going on. Yeah, uh, So
1: they arrive in Berlin. Uh, they get off the train. She sees the wounded German soldiers, and what I liked here is that she knows that this is the enemy, but even seeing – Kind of like the human face of war. Even seeing these German soldiers, you can see that she's a little... Like, she's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, even seeing the enemy suffer still hurts. Which which is a nice touch. It actually gives her some humanity.
0: Yeah, a little bit of empathy.
1: Yeah. Uh They go to Sunflower's place, and he locks her in his basement. Yeah. I, I'm unsure as to
0: why. I just... Kind of yeah that, that's interesting because she is going to be prominent in the society like she, the goal is for her to mingle with a lot of these other Germans, so at first, I took this as like him hiding her being an american but but if the point is that she's going to be out and about talking to people, what's the point of hiding her i don't know
1: i, I can like i can understand I can understand the hiding fine, you want to hide her until you ingratiate her into that household fine, but why lock her in? She's, she's, I don't know. I guess. Well, who knows? Like maybe he's been burned in the past by somebody that Ed or one of the other agencies. He's just being over careful. Yeah, it's fine, fine, whatever. I've talked myself into it. Fine. Um, Marguerite arrives, which was an actress that I recognized, but I couldn't figure out from. And it wasn't until mere moments ago when I looked up on IMDb, she has a small role. Uh, in a movie starring an actor that you and I both love, but also an actor you and I think is an all-around good guy. Mel Gibson. Oh, boy. The, the movie is The Patriots, co-starring Heath Ledger. Never seen it. Uh, worth checking out. Okay. A, a, a very entertaining action, ep, uh, uh, historical action film
0: just trying to see completely
1: if- has a scene that is a complete depending on your opinion homage or ripoff of Last of Mohicans
0: I don't think I know her from anything I'm going through She's
1: her- not she doesn't have a lot to her like I I only I was like I recognize this actress and so I looked it up and I'm like oh she's the uh she's the aunt or the sister in The Patriot mm-hmm. the aunt actually
0: yeah, I'm looking up uh, a little bit about her early life cuz her German's really good Okay, uh, her German sounds good. So she's from the UK. All right. She's from England, so I just wanted to see if she had like a German parent or something like that, but her accent is uh is pretty darn good. Is is on point? Yeah, it is. All it's right. On point.
1: Good for her. Uh the actress we're speaking of by the way um is Jolie Richardson. That's right. Who is the real-life sister of Liam Neeson's uh dead wife. Liam Neeson's wife died in a skiing accident. Mm. Uh, I think her name was Miranda Richardson. Natasha. Uh, this, Natasha, thank you. Natasha. Um Jolie is her sister. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh Marguerite von Eberstein. Did I say that right? It's pretty good. Close enough? Well, I'm trying did to I have, find that, to I, find the spelling. Did uh, I have a did I have a, a gutter accent? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was pretty good. Uh yeah, no, it was it was for a Canadian, not too bad. Okay, thank I you. I would say the uh, the E at the beginning of the last name okay. will be pronounced A. A, okay. aberstein Aberstein. There you go. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so Marguerite arrives. Uh, they talk movies, uh, and they go to talk to the courier, uh, the fishmonger. Mm-hmm. And this scene is meant to be tense. This scene should be edge of your seat, and it is not even close. No. And her
0: fucking up the code is like this is this is the greatest mind that america could muster to do this job her not even being able to remember <laughs> is cod is fresh cod in season she she's practicing it as she's walking over there is cod in fresh season is cod in fresh season <laughs> or is fresh cod in season is yeah. fresh cod in season and then she says is cod in fresh season is what she says yeah and she fucks it up immediately this is the greatest mind that we could surmise um the I I always thought I
1: think that this is the SS that arrive. They're officers, so it's not the Gestapo because the Gestapo is like the secret police. So they're, yeah, they're they'll, they're, they'll, they're not in uniform. Yeah, they're Gestapo always, like, would be wearing plain clothes. Yeah, uh, I assume. I think it's, I think you're right. I think this is the SS. Uh, and an officer asks for her papers, uh, and her spy purse opens. Why? Uh, and she gets away with it. Mm-hmm. Dumb. Oh. This
0: should be. They are actively looking. For people like her. And they just straight up don't notice the mysterious paper that falls out of this purse. Yes. So if somebody's purse, let's just say somebody's purse opened up in front of you and ripped out, where are your eyes naturally going to go? Without to you it. even deciding to do it. Right to the ground. You're going to look at what fell out. Yes. Immediately. And there was one thing that fell out. Two. Two things that fell out. Cigarettes and the paper. I'm sorry. You're going to notice the paper and then the guy very mysteriously covering it with his foot. Yeah. Just going to notice it. Whatever. (sighs) Um, Yeah. Non-spoiler section, I said that there was a character with ulterior motives that was just the most obvious thing ever. Marguerite. Yeah. The actual phrasing that I said in there was the most obvious secretly evil character of all time. I didn't didn't catch that. Okay. So from the moment that she shows up, and says, "My uncle didn't tell you I was coming." And there's a shot of Melanie Griffith. I was like, mm, "Suspect." And then she, the purse that she gives to Melanie Griffith, opens up in front of her. Uh, I was like, "Okay." No, you're...
1: she didn't give her that. Didn't Melanie, she? Melanie Griffith was given it.
0: Okay. There was some interaction between her and Melanie Griffith, at, like when they're on outside, the other... when they're outside yeah. the fish market. There was something about that interaction. I can't remember what it was for the life of me.
1: She, asked, Marguerite, asks about it, mm-hmm. and Melanie Griffith. Uh, Linda shows that it's a, like a spy purse. Right. Yeah. Okay. She got it from the CIA.
0: I just felt like Melanie Griffith's character, or Linda Voss, the character of Linda is, for a spy, a little too trusting of this person that she just met.
1: Well, she's also not a spy. She's only a spy because she convinced him to be a spy. She, it's, she had no spy
0: training. Mm-hmm. So I get, I, I, I'm, oh, why am I defending her? <laughs> All I'm saying is from a screenwriting perspective, it seems like the screenwriter is trying to bend over backwards to have our protagonist give this person information. This person is asking, what's this purse for? What's the message that you're passing along? Who you mean? At every point in this movie, she's constantly being given information by Linda. And it just felt like in combination with her phrasing earlier. I don't know. Something about okay. this character just led me to believe that this uh, this person was evil.
1: I didn't pick up on the twist of this until the apartment scene. Mm-hmm. This this interaction, because uh, Linda in the present time says how well they got along and all that. Yeah. And so it just led me to believe. I'm like, okay, Margaret. And then she says, uh, she says something. Uh, the interviewer asked something about you know, where Marguerite now is, or like, is everything okay? And it's, it's implied that Marguerite definitely doesn't make it out. I'm like, okay, so something happens to Marguerite. I never took it that Marguerite is going to betray her. I always thought that Marguerite, the way it was framed and the way uh, Melanie Griffith reacts, I was anticipating Marguerite to sacrifice herself for her.
0: Okay. Interesting. Uh, It's funny. Uh, Again, this could just be a matter of this movie being bad. So me trying to look for specific things like this, but it seemed like the movie was bending over backwards to set that expectation. They were they were stopping just shy of having Melanie Griffith say she sacrificed herself for me. Like the interviewer asks, "What happened? Did she die?" and she starts crying and doesn't answer. It seemed like such an obvious setup for the sacrifice side of things that yep. I was like, there's no way this is actually the way that they're going. I was I going know. for it. I didn't think <laughs> I didn't think the movie was
1: smart enough to pull off something like that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, A- anyway, and- and when we get to it, as soon as the apartment scene started, I'm like, oh, she's a fucking traitor. Yeah, no doubt. No yeah. Doubt. So I, the twist, I wasn't like <gasps> gasping at the twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just didn't pick up on it as early as you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, she goes to meet Marguerite's mom. I love that Marguerite is uh, hiding
0: who Li- uh, Linda is and makes her mom secretly kiss a Jew. Yeah, I, I like that aspect <laughs> of it. But again, writing thing that I hate in this scene is like, this person's a spy. Why would you take this unnecessary risk of introducing her to a person? She's like, you'll never meet this person again. Which, when she says that, obviously we're going to see this person later in the movie. Yeah. But <laughs> but it just seems like such an unnecessary risk. It big time. Yeah. It, it's, ugh, it's so, so dumb. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, <laughs> I love that the plan to get Linda into the house is for them to hit the chef with their truck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking great.
1: These Uh, People are geniuses. She has implied that she would be able to cook for a large party, uh, and when she is made to, she fails miserably. Uh, A little tempted humor here, as it's supposed to be a cold cucumber soup and it's a warm
0: soup, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they, she doesn't cook the doves, so they're going to be cold doves or ducks. I can't remember what it is. Yeah, my the translation that I watched uh, said doves for some reason. Was it ducks on yours? It was. It, I, I swear it was doves, but I swear they say ducks later. Oh, okay. Who knows? Doves. Anyway. I didn't know you ate doves. No. I mean, you don't really, but okay. maybe they did back then. I have no idea. Uh, this did get a laugh out of me when she says, the doves we serve cold. That did get a laugh out of me, but I don't think because the delivery was good or anything like that, it was just so obviously absurd. Again, this person is a spy trying to be incognito, trying to pass for a German, and she she's serving these people raw bird. Yeah. Uncooked bird. What the fuck is this movie where she is able to get away with this after this, and Liam Neeson will trust her after this? What the fuck? Yeah. Well, there is a scene where they set that up. So she sucks at
1: this. She is obviously never served. She spills soup all over Liam Neeson, Mm -hmm.
0: which is so funny. He looks so young. And this is only a year before Schindler's list. Yes. And he looks significantly younger. Yes. It's crazy. It's insane. Uh,
1: So the doves aren't cooked. She's fired by this German officer. But then Franz picks her up as she's walking and she sees his secret plan sticking out of his briefcase hmm. conveniently uh his wife died and he needs a nanny and this is where it it doesn't bother me because he says um uh shit the
0: the agency Thank has, you. Yeah.
1: The agency is is short staffed so they're hiring people that aren't skilled in what they actually need to be so she got hired as a cook but she's not a cook she's actually a nanny in air quotes so when, if she finds out he needs a nanny, he's like, "Well, I was a nanny, and so it that allowed me to over." He doesn't need her to cook for large parties. Mm-hmm. He needs to look after his children, which is what she's skilled at. That's
0: that's all entirely fair. My problem mostly with the doves is a the absurdity of it all, and b the fact that like this was the plan. The plan was for her to knock their socks off with her cook with her cooking. Yeah, and she doesn't. E- She's not even prepared enough to cook a bird all the way through. Yeah, like that. Like that is just baffling. It, it's it's the sad part is about is that that would work in a comedy. Yes, it's like the movie was like going for comedy at this point. It's like it forgot what movie it was at yeah. this point. So he,
1: Liam Neeson Franz, hires her as a nanny, and she's searching his entire place but can't find anything. And because she has. Taking this new job. She has run past her two weeks and no way to contact the Americans to let her know that she's still alive. Mm -hmm. So they've pretty much just assumed uh, that she's dead. Uh, There's a Nazi March going on. Uh, There's a lot in this Nazi parade scene, Nazi March parade scene, a lot of swastika paraphernalia, Mm -hmm. flags and stuff like that. And because this is the nineties, there's a shit ton of real people in the scene. What would it be like to film that scene as an extra?
0: Yeah, it'd be pretty gross. And as far as I know, decent portions of this movie were filmed in Germany.
1: Oh yeah, I think I saw that.
0: where, uh, Where I believe it is illegal to be seen wearing a swastika or to be in possession of Nazi paraphernalia. Mind you, I believe there are exceptions that can be made for artistic purposes like this. But it is... To this day, very, very much a taboo to even discuss things like this. Okay, the Nazi
1: parade sequence was filmed in Nürnmarkt, Potsdam, Brandenburg. Pretty good.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. I love that you're trying to impress me with this. This is great. I thought, I'm trying not. I am trying to impress you. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the fact that this is on German soil... It would have been pretty chilling, uh, you know, fifty some odd years after the after the streets actually looked like this, yeah, to kind of reset this all up and actually have a parade would have been pretty chilling. Yeah, actually, uh, Hitler arrives. Didn't expect to see. Uh, Saw the man. Yeah, Addy. Yeah, <laughs> good old, uh, good old uh, Hitler, uh, <laughs> uh Overall, good guy. <laughs> I can't even get that joke out. That's that's just terrible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all good guys. Nice. Oh, oh boy. Whew.
1: Okay. Um, it's being filmed because Hitler's there, and the uh, film is seen by the Americans. And Ed sees her in the crowd, realizes that she's alive, and mm. they realize who she's with, and so they concoct the idea that she is she must be trying. To continue her um, mission in a, a different form, right. uh, France starts growing suspicious of her,
0: and at this uh, at this rally at, at this, this rally,
1: somebody says something. Who cares what it is? Fuck that shit. Uh, she tries to go to the fishmonger. Uh, he has found her family, and she stuffs the fish with a message, and then it all gets mixed up
0: <laughs> again. This is unintentionally hilarious. Like yeah. This this is a scene out of a different movie. Come on. Her putting that note in a fish's mouth is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> do you want to know what movie this is from? I what's can a, tell you right now. What's it from? And
1: I think you're going to be happy with me. Okay. Her sticking... The, this is from a Mr. Bean movie.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, if Mr. Bean was a spy, this is what he would do. That's yes. great. That's a good analogy. Thank you. Um, my next note on this is she truly sucks. Oh, she is just the worst spy of all
1: time. Just the absolute worst. Um, she tries to go to the city to see her family and she's being followed. Uh, I have, my next note is she's the fucking worst. She has to, she must be, she has to understand that she might be being followed, but she is completely unaware. Mm -hmm. Um, good old Eddie shows up. Mm -hmm. I do like his cover story. Because he can't speak German. That was really cool, yeah. Yeah. The little- ballsy. Yeah. Ballsy. Uh Ed gives her an exit plan. Which was two days?
0: Yeah, I can't exactly remember. Who cares? Uh
1: oh, it gives her one day, because here it is. He tries to reason with her. She's being
0: ridiculous. He gives her twenty four hours. Um This this scene I wrote the note. Michael Douglas uh isn't great, but definitely not Razzie-worthy here. Yeah. Um,
1: She takes the kids under the pretense that she's going to the zoo, but wants to find her family. She's an idiot. She needs to leave the kids somewhere else. There has to be some family that Franz has that she could leave them with for just a couple hours to try and do this. 100%. Like, anything. Anything else.
0: Also, again, uh, another thing with Marguerite here who is the only person that she tells not only that her family is alive oh, yes. but the but the specific address yeah at that point i'm going come on like like you just met this person that there's no reason for you to give that person that information there's yeah. no reason um she leaves the kids at the front door of this abandoned
1: building mhm i can tell you right now if i was to leave maya at a front door and say stay here that would last for five minutes tops (laughs) and then she would come get me yep she wouldn't wander off on her own she might but she'd be like my daughter's just a little bit too scared at her age Hmm. she would definitely not want me to leave her alone and definitely would like within five minutes would be yelling at me to come get her or she would just come find me yeah whatever uh she goes into the basement which isn't well hidden like this is a horrible hiding spot she's literally you literally go in the front door and down one set of stairs, and you will see these Jewish people's hiding squats. It's just a basement. It's, it's all it is. It's just a basement. Uh, she finds the cousin's flute. I was kind of... As this scene was playing along, I was kind of anticipating that they were hiding in that room, and they would come out. We get this, like, cheerful reading. Totally.
0: I-, I thought the same thing. Um, Yeah, because finding a flute in and of itself is not really that sad. Like, what she finds... Like, a flute is set, you separate it into, I believe, three pieces. A flute can be like pulled apart into three different pieces. Yeah, she, so she-, one, she finds one piece. Yeah, so she finds the head joint of the flute. In my mind, that is, it's not sad in and of itself. Like, it just doesn't indicate anything. Like, she sobs over this. Like, she doesn't, these people might still be in hiding. Like, it doesn't indicate anything, right? It's not like broken or busted or anything. It's just a piece of a flute. Yeah. I don't but know. But she automatically, maybe because they're not there. Maybe. It, it, like,
1: where like where else could they be?
0: Yeah. I honestly
1: thought they were hiding in there somewhere. Me too.
0: 100%. That's the thing. She barely looks around. She just goes right to this piece of a flute and starts crying. Yeah. <laughs> weird, weird uh,
1: choice. The air raid sirens go off. Bombs drop.
0: And that building
1: explosion was really well
0: done. Looks really cool. Yeah. Um, what bothered me, like, it's not really the biggest deal in the world because it's all in camera and it's real and it's really cool. But there's a cut, like, almost instantly from it. Like this is probably your big budget moment of the movie. Yeah. Let the camera roll. Yeah. Let it just sit on the on the exploding building. Yeah. It's just objectively interesting, and the fact that they cut away from it too soon kind of bugged me because it's the coolest shot of the movie. It's big, so cool. Big time. Yeah. Uh, a zebra's running around. Okay. Weird. Does one of the kids say "Look, the zoo"? Yeah. Do I have that note right? You do and it's one zebra. Yep, that's not a zoo. No. That is that is one zebra. <laughs>
1: um they return home, the kids are scared, and the son reveals that there is a secret room in the basement. Mm-hmm. She realizes why she's been unable to find any information because it's inside the secret room. So she's got 1 hour to get into that room and to the train station. And I'm already like, okay, the time the the timeline is this is I'm calling bullshit. Yep. I'm calling bullshit on this one. She goes down to the basement and She can't find it. But then she sees the windows. One's got two panes, one has one pane of glass. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, they built an extra room. The keys above the doorway doesn't bother me because he would want the key to be easily accessible.
0: Sure. Right? And the room's already hidden.
1: The room's already hidden. And it's actually hidden quite well. Like when she went down to the room, I'm like, okay, I, I don't see anything, so it has to be a secret one, mm-hmm. right? And the doorway's hidden behind that cabinet. The only problem with this is, for me is this, is that you can see that the cabinet is heavy. She has to drag it to open it, and then there's a lock on the th- – and that's going to come into play when she gets out of this room later. Mm-hmm. I was like, how does she do this without him hearing one floor above? Right, whatever. Um, she gets out of her secret camera. Um, she breaks into the room uh franz wakes up heads downstairs this is supposed to be super tense i was kind of waiting for myself to get tense it's always that because he stops when he hears something and stuff like that in the hands of a better director this would have been a very thrilling moment and i just found myself waiting to be thrilled i'm like i was on the edge of my seat waiting to be on the edge of my
0: seat i understand what you're saying
1: yeah Yeah, i'm like i'm like Please, I'm like, even an adequate director can get me excited for this scene. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't happen.
0: Uh, The only note I have on that scene is that uh, Qui-Gon senses she's in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) He just kind of knows upstairs. (laughs) He uses the force. He senses a disturbance. Um,
1: He finds her outside. Um, He thinks she works for the Gestapo.
0: Yeah, which I, I found believable. Like, I didn't really have a problem with this scene in particular. And he's like, you're... Like I know that you're watching me. You're from the Gestapo, and you want to make sure that I haven't haven't lost the thread. That yeah. I'm still with the cause. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay,
1: cool. Yeah.
0: I, I, and what a what a great cover for her. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh.
1: So she he wants to take her to the opera, and that's where we see Marguerite's mom.
0: <laughs> what a, what a twist! What a shock! <laughs> he. Oh okay. Oh. oh. Hold, I'm just something occurring to me. Yeah, yeah. To play devil's advocate here. Yeah. The poor decision to have to introduce uh, this spy to your mother actually makes sense if Marguerite is trying to get her found out. If she's playing for the other side. True. Because she knows that this famous woman is going to be at a number of public events where this woman may find herself. True. Yeah. So it actually works. Okay. I, I rescind that one particular piece of criticism
1: uh she tries to run and then runs right into marguerite's mom Mm -hmm. right in front of uh franz who maintains his cool quite well uh they return home and then franz goes and gets his gun yeah he knows what's up she runs now if i'm not mistaken the problem i have with this is she sees him get his gun she runs into her room and then packs.
0: Yeah. So what's he doing out there? Yeah. He hyping himself up? Yeah. Loading the gun slowly? Um, she goes to Sunflower. He tells her to basically fuck off. By the way, uh, that shot of Liam Neeson loading his gun, last time we see him in the movie, I believe. Yeah. Unless we see him after he comes... Does he come out of his house after her? Nope. No, yeah, this is the last time we see him. And this, this is one of, the writing, one of the major writing things that bothered me, where... Not fat trimming, tightening. Yep. Tightening. Like what happens to this person? What what happens with this family? Yep. Are they scarred irreparably for life? Is Liam Neeson captured after the war? Like, what what happens? Yeah,
1: he well, he was harboring a spy. Yeah. So he's probably not gonna Give me some fucking closure on this. Yep. He's uh she's told to go see Marguerite. And um This is again, it was it was here. Where I started to, I I started to feel like Marguerite might betray her. But what I actually thought about in my mind, I'm still thinking that she sacrifices her because mm-hmm. she says, Le- "Linda, Lisa, Linda, Linda says that she left the the. I guess it's a microfilm. Microfilm in the phone booth. Marguerite says she's going to go down and get it, mm-hmm. but Marguerite leaves kind of dressed like Linda was." so i thought she was gonna get shot and it's here that i realize that that's
0: where the betrayal is right okay yeah and yeah and linda figures it out here too yes. So that's actually effective writing if it worked for you if you get this for me is a twist working well the audience figuring it out simultaneously with the with the protagonist, yep, and that's, that, that's it working,
1: and on. it and that's what it did for me. Yeah. I
0: I didn't see I didn't see the betrayal coming until this moment. Good, okay,
1: good. Um, this is where Linda sees the men's clothes, the obviously an officer, mm-hmm. uh, and then she sees uh, pics of Marguerite with an officer, uh, and Marguerite has obviously betrayed her. She pulls a gun. There's a little cat and mouse. Uh, in this, in the, in the apartment scene here. Yeah, my again, notes
0: in this scene refer to it as the climax of the movie. Oh, so I little did I know there was this whole other scene coming here. But yes. yeah, at this point, I was like, weird decision to have the climax just be her wandering around in an apartment with scissors, with all this stuff going on. But uh, we'll, yeah. we'll still have all that to come. The, I think it felt like the climax because it was the big reveal. Totally. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Um, again, I'm waiting for the filmmaker to build the tension in the scene to get me nervous and excited. And it doesn't come. This should be an exciting and thrilling and a hold your breath moment. This should be like a quiet place moment. Mm -hmm. And it's, it doesn't even approach that. And it's so sad because again, like we've said numerous times, this film has the structure to be something really fucking good. Yeah. It's got pieces. This film, this film should be remade.
0: Yeah. We should we should campaign for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I find it hilarious. So she gets she gets shot. Shocked me. I yeah. Just, I oh see, like, shit! Like, she actually takes a couple of bullets. Yeah. And then two I'm like, bullets. Two. Two bullets. One in, for sure. In her head. Yeah. Um, so she's laying there on the ground. Marguerite just kind of gets on top of her, and <laughs> she does nothing. <laughs> Linda is allowed to just lay there, gripping these scissors menacingly she does nothing to disarm her marguerite just lets her hold on to these scissors which she was obviously grabbing as a weapon and obviously is continuing to grab as a weapon yep. and just doesn't do anything to disarm her at all and just gets it right up in there cozy and close the only place where a wounded person can actually get you with a pair of scissors yep. stabs her then
1: shoots her gets a microfilm and here come the gestapo again my heart should be racing how is she going to get out of this where is she going to go? She set up that she looked down over the balcony and saw that there's a fountain. Okay. So they set up she's going to jump out there. Perfect. They set it up perfectly. Mm-hmm. The shitty thing is is that she's hiding in the laundry chute and her fingers are outside, bloody hanging on. I'm sorry. Even if you're not really looking for them, they're far too apparent. And she doesn't even need to be hanging on to them outside. She could easily have put her hand inside and just sat there quietly bled to death. But
0: weird directorial choice.
1: uh, She falls into the laundry chute. Uh, Ed and Sunflower arrive. And she somehow hasn't bled to death. Uh, They make their way to the train. I said here the station would be so guarded, but then they. as soon as I wrote that down, they do show that there is some um, officers there. But I think the present, there needed to be more and more kind of ID checks because the Gestapo and them know that there is an enemy spy on the loose that has killed someone that they're aware of that is helping them that has flushed out a traitor or a spy. Yeah. So there should be a massive military and police presence at best way to get out of the city so their ability to get on this train pretty basically undisturbed in any way is a little bit of a stretch that's very
0: true actually I, I honestly didn't think of that that's entirely true uh
1: <clears throat> they there is a really gorgeous shot of the train leaving the tunnel though
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you remember that couple nice shots in this movie. Yeah. credit where credit um due. she's dying and they flirt <laughs> this is the scene badly this is the scene. Zero chemistry.
0: Yeah, uh, this this is the emotional climax of the movie. This is the uh the <laughs> this is the most heightened moment of their emotional relationship together. They've been separated for so long. They both thought the other was dead at several different points. Uh, she has been MIA. She has done the job that was asked of her, although relatively poorly. But he doesn't know that, and he has found her. And rescued her after she has done her country a service, and they get to reunite and make up, and there is nothing. Nothing. There is. I feel nothing. I have finger to my wrist right now, and I just no regular pulse. It was. It's so poor. They have zero chemistry. It was so hard to watch this. This is where. This is where I felt Michael Douglas was bad. Oh, that's fair. And again, I would like to emphasize that it's more. It's less him being bad, and just them being bad. He is so wooden his delivery of a line like uh uh I think she said I think he says I don't want to lose you. I want to be with you always. And he, he he takes on Melanie Griffith's tone of voice because he just does he just is it feels like he's just reading it and it's really sad. This is this is his worst scene in the movie, but mostly because it's their worst scene in the movie. They get to the
1: border And they have to go through a German security check before they can get into Switzerland. And he's carrying her. They go inside the building, and his papers are no longer valid. And I was like, how is he going to get out of this carrying her, Mm -hmm. who we know she survives because she's the one telling the story? Mm -hmm. He stabs and shoots his way out. I kind of liked it. Uh, (laughs) The ball kick— Oh, great for a laugh. That was, wow. A
0: hearty chuckle, sir. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And this is the scene where if this movie had been much better made by a competent director and we have some amazing chemistry built up by that scene that we had just left that was horribly bad but would have been great if the writing and the acting performances were great, him trying to get to that border and being shot Would have left me in tears. Yeah, man. Within sight, within steps of the borderline. Like like not even 20 feet? Yeah. And he has to basically crawl his way there carrying her. I fucking love, like, I would have loved this scene.
0: This, I I haven't seen the movie I'm about to compare this to, but I think it's an apt analogy. Because you have seen this movie, you can tell me. This is the scene from Platoon.
1: Oh, not quite but I it's under, not i can understand the reference <laughs> okay to get. Yeah. oh god <laughs> that scene in platoon is so good oh fuck i love that movie i'm yeah. watching that i gotta watch that movie okay oh,
0: i understand it's not quite that okay but i understand i i to, know to me my understanding of both of those scenes is that there is just a i mean it's basically them racing towards a checkpoint and failing to make it there. And it's, ah, cruel irony. I'm within sight of it. I'm so close, but so far.
1: I won't spoil what that sure. is. Sure, okay.
0: But I, I, it's, a, that's a,
1: a, a, based on your visual knowledge of that film with no reference to what it actually yeah, is Yeah, I, I have no outside context for that scene, really. Yeah, I can understand why you would think that. Okay. Not, not the case. Right. Not, oh my God. Fuck, I can't wait. <laughs> We're not, we're like literally over a decade away from being able to review that movie. What year is Platoon? Eighty six. Yeah, we could just do it, <laughs> l- unless we decide to do the eighties instead of the aughts. But I, yeah. don- that's a big discussion. Yeah. That's still always way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, she knew to hide the microfilm in her glove. I like this is actually smart. Mm-hmm. She
0: talks about it. Yeah, a uh, a doctor would remove it, but yeah. a soldier would overlook it. Yes. Yeah. Smart. Um. Because she's, she's not in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and then we find out Ed's alive. Yeah. I mean, does he need to be? I don't know. You know what? Because I don't like this movie, sure, he can be alive. If this movie was well made, I would have preferred him to die because that would have been so incredibly awesome and tragic. Yeah.
0: That's the thing. It's a whole... The, This kind of ending just wants to have its cake and eat it, too. Yeah. It wants to be a tragedy and have the big dramatic uh, shot in the back moment. Uh, But it also wants to have him live and have them live happily ever after in a Hollywood ending. It's frustrating. Also, this interview is introduced at the beginning. I'm going to scroll up here. Yeah. See what it's introduced. Uh, The series is on BBC and it's called Hitler's Germany. That's what it's called. Okay. Why isn't Ed in this interview? It's a very interesting story. And he's been in Germany several times as an American. Well, my understand this is my understanding. This
1: is my take on it. Because this is this is just one interview in an entire series. Yes. It's not it's not her story. Mm -hmm. Her story is part of the whole thing. I'm under the assumption that Ed gets interviewed
0: later. That's okay. That's fine. I'm also just remembering right now, actually, there I don't have this written down on my notes, so I don't know this for sure. I'm, it. this segment of Hitler's Germany may be called Women in the War. Okay. It might be. I can't remember. All right. Yeah. Oh, I think they do say that at the beginning. I think they do. Okay. In my head, they do. So maybe I'll, I'll rescind that as well. Cool. That's the movie. The only note that I didn't say, which I didn't really fit in anywhere, but is worth at least acknowledging, small character design flaw, having somebody named Friedrich and somebody named Dietrich gets a little confusing. Okay. But that's it. All right. That's the whole whole shebang for notes.
1: I have one trivia note for you. Oh, boy. Because I couldn't find anything interesting on this
0: movie. Okay. Shocker. Um, couldn't find f- anything in- interesting in this movie either.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a $500,000 building was erected in Berlin to be blown up during the action scene, but no cameras were rolling when it went.
0: Wah, wah. Yeah. Tropic Thunder, anyone?
1: That's it. <laughs> uh Casting What If. I, I have this casting What If. Or not a casting What If. Uh, somebody... Uh, tested for the role of Linda, but lost out to Melanie Griffith. I don't even know if you know this actress. Her name is Deborah Winger. No, she was very famous uh, in the eighties. Um, I'm pretty sure she was in an Officer and a Gentleman, but um, yeah, I don't, I can't think of anything that she would have been in that you'd know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard of, uh, I've heard of Terms of Endearment, but I've never seen it. Okay. Uh, favorite quote? I've got three. Oh my god. You want me to go first? You go
1: first, buddy. I have a little uh, back and forth between Ed and Linda. What I was going to ask you to do is stand up, turn around, and close your eyes and tell me everything you see in the room. It's an observation test. Do you really have a problem with that? Pictures of sailboats and polo ponies, fancy books and diplomas, stuffed fish on the wall, calendar set to the wrong date, bookcases that need dusting, carpets that need cleaning, and a couple of guys from Harvard who are surprised
0: that a girl who needs a job won't be treated like a slave. That is a good one. I sorry. I have one other thing I want to oh. add about that. Okay. About that specific quote. That quote came to mind at the end when she's in Marguerite's, and she only starts to notice all of the the Nazi stuff around the room after Marguerite leaves. And we're like, mm, she would have noticed that on the way in if she yep. was if she was really good at observation. Anyway, um, this was one of the what this
1: this moment this back and forth. This is not that really quotable of a line, but it's the delivery and the moment. It's when Linda is trying to get Ed to let her be a spy, and she says, if you don't, I'll quit. And she's like, if you don't let me go, I'll quit. I'll miss you. Yeah. (laughs) That is a good line, It's a good delivery. Uh Uh, And then the last one I have is from uh, Horst Drescher, who is the officer that uh, hired her. Uh, Delicious. Makes me
0: feel like a wolf as he's eating the raw bird. (laughs) okay pretty good um i allowed you to go first because i only really had one okay i only really had one quote where i was like that's really well written um it's the line when the young soldier tries to cut in to dance or cut in to say excuse me she doesn't want to dance and he says don't try it or i'll leave with your adam's apple in my pocket (laughs) (laughs) the throat rip yeah the throat rip reminiscent of roadhouse baby there we go baby (laughs) dalton yeah To fuck guys like you in prison. Yep, classic line. Okay, uh,
1: my well, I obviously know what your yeah, favorite you know, quote what is. mine is. Uh, mine is if you don't let me go, I'll quit. I'll cool. miss you. Okay, I'll go with that. Uh, favorite scene? I have five. Oh my goodness! I know, I know. Uh, the dinner scene with the undercooked duck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the job interview, the, where my quote comes from. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and the, I'm kind of counting that as well as the one where she stands up to the the bitch as well because she didn't go to the right two school. separate scenes. Yeah, but I'm counting as one. Well. Okay. uh the opera scene yep uh Marguerite's apartment mhm
0: and the border escape right um <laughs> i don't think i've really been fair to this movie uh, t- to give this movie its credit i really didn't try to assemble too many scenes or quotes for this part because you know they're even even as we were going through i didn't really remember any i only really put one scene okay one scene stands head and shoulders above the rest okay as as the only good one if you say the sex scene I'm gonna slap your face no okay oh the boobies okay oh, boobies, boobies okay there's two <laughs> no there's only one okay and it's Michael Douglas kicking the German guard in the nuts <laughs> that is far and away and I'm not even I'm not even kidding that is far and away the most fun I had with this movie was that particular moment and okay and it's not even close all right well, my favorite scene
1: is actually that whole border escape. Okay, that's fine. Uh, inside there and him carrying her and getting shot at uh, yeah. was the closest I felt to a, a good part of this movie.
0: Okay, I'm going to put in brackets at the end, border escape. Okay. Because it, because it is that, but really the, the, the nut shot is just a, a thing of beauty. <laughs> okay. Uh, closing credits. Yeah. Are there any awesome Nope. Okay. <laughs> Not at all.
1: Are any aspects of this film award worthy?
0: Um no. Uh, I don't think it did anything well enough. No. Overall, there were glimmers. There there were a couple good things shining through, Manny. Oh, you fucker. Brutal. We found the reason. Okay. What well, sorry, you were going to say something. I cut you I, off. I I do have one. Now I
1: don't think I'm going to be able to well, you know what? I've only seen two
0: of these movies. Uh the costume design I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, period piece. Yeah. I I can get on board with it. Okay. Weak link of the film. Oh, (sighs) Melanie, my sweet summer child. She was not good. She was actively bad. Yeah. And I feel for her. I really do. And the fact that she would go on to be nominated for like six more Razzies after this just speaks to her perseverance (laughs) and her stick-to-itiveness. But by gosh, by golly, is she ever bad? Yeah, she is actively bad. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? God, I hope not.
1: I think this actually might have been David Seltzer's.
0: Hold yeah, on. you know what? I looked up his filmography earlier. I think I have it pulled up here. Uh, he did a lot of stuff uh, as a writer. Oh, never mind. No, he wrote The
1: Omen. Sorry. Yeah. That's his career <laughs> he highlight. He wrote The Omen. There you okay,
0: go. So we got nothing.
1: Uh, will this make anyone's highlight reel? Oh, God, no. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. Hardest question. MVP of the film.
0: I... You, you first. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything. Jolie Richardson as Marguerite. Is good. Is good. Absolutely. Um, the soundtrack. The music. There you go. Oh, music, Music's pretty good in this one, man. There you go. I like it. Okay. Um, what will be this film's legacy? Uh... An under an underrealized no that's not the word I'm looking for, um, a potential a, a diamond in the rough that just didn't get polished enough, yeah you know, okay. a movie that a movie that had the potential to be great, and fell far short. This film's legacy is that it doesn't have one. Yes, that's, that is a better answer. Would you watch this movie again? Oh God, no! Please, no! Never again. Actively no, I would not watch this again. I would I would go out of my way to watch
1: this. You go out of your way to not watch it? To not watch it. I can't correct. go that far. Yeah. <laughs> would you recommend this movie to friends?
0: If <laughs> I, I actually I work with somebody who uh claims that at one point or another in his life him and his friends would get together and watch bad movies. Like intentionally. Intentionally watch bad movies. Is
1: he friends with Rachel? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, he's not, but I appreciate the burn. Uh so maybe to him, people who want people who want to go out of their way to see a bad performance and make fun of it, this could be for you. Other than that, absolutely not. I can't think of another reason why I would want to recommend this to somebody.
1: I'm going to say something really shitty. Are you ready? Ooh, go for it. This is the kind of movie where people of my parents' generation that aren't movie fans that just like to watch a movie every once in a while, mm-hmm. they will like this movie. <laughs> it's not that shitty. This is the type of movie and quality of film. This is where the shitty thing comes in. Let's go. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. The type of people that watch those Hallmark movies yeah. will enjoy this movie.
0: Oh, totally. Again, that's I don't think that's shitty. That's that's just that's just true. Cause those Hallmark movies are actively worse than this similar similarly bad acting
1: yes so it's just if, a
0: cash full of melanie griffiths
1: yes so if if you're somebody out there that likes hallmark movies i don't understand why you'd be listening to this podcast then you should watch this movie because i bet you'll like it and i don't mean that i'm not saying it to be mean a little bit but, <laughs> it's a little, it's a little mean but uh, it it is a little mean, but uh, there's a lot of people that love those hallmark movies, and oh. if you watch those movies non ironically and watch them and enjoy them, then I honestly believe that you will watch this and enjoy it. Yeah. I truly believe that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i'm not I'm not denigrating you for that. it just means that we have different taste in film, totally, and there's nothing wrong with that rachel um <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I had to get my shots in because I let her off the hook in the thread. Yeah. Sam, your final thoughts on Shining Through*.
0: The Razzie Award winners are always uh, always an interesting one for us. So this is the third Razzie Award winner that we've done. Uh, we did Color of Night from yeah. 1995. Oh, sorry, 1994. Four. Yeah. Uh, and then we did An Indecent Proposal uh, for 1993. I think we were a little spoiled with An Indecent Proposal. Yeah, we were. We were both lukewarm on that, but for a Razzie winner, that's like elated. I think we both gave it a three, if I'm I recall.
1: Positive we gave it a three.
0: Yeah. I, I'm i fairly certain I gave well, it a why three. Why can't I find it? Yeah, whatever. Um, I'm pretty confident that we both gave it a three. So we were a little bit spoiled. A Razzie Award winner should not be that good. Oh, and uh yeah, this one uh corrected itself. The weak link of the film, as we discussed earlier, uh, unfortunately, Melanie Griffith is just in way over her head. She is just woefully unprepared. Um, how this woman went on to have an acting career and act in no fewer than eight movies where she was arguably the worst of the year uh, is a little amazing to me. My understanding is that she has some famous connections as well. Yeah. Maybe Manny can confirm that for me. 100%, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really feel for her in this movie because she's just in way over her head. Michael Douglas uh, has nothing to work with on a chemistry level. So while he is also bad, it is forgivable, especially because we know what he can do already. Whereas Melanie Griffith does not get that same um, benefit of the doubt because she hasn't proven herself like he has. Uh, yeah, this is just a... The best thing I can say about this movie is that it's forgettable, hopefully. It is, it is not good is a terrible performance in it, and I hope to never revisit this ever again.
1: I actually just remembered two other movies that Melanie Griffith was in where she's
0: good. Okay, let's hear them. I would love to give her some praise right now.
1: Okay, so um, one is a movie. It's a TV movie. It's on HBO. It's a movie I think I mentioned to you that you should check out if you get a chance called RKO 281.
0: Yes, you know what? I think it is actually in my watch list still on uh, on Letterboxd.
1: Yeah, it's about the making of Citizen Kane. Sure. And she plays Marion Davies. Um, she it, per, it plays perfectly into her type of acting, and it's one of the reasons why she's good in it. She's really not playing much different than what she is in this movie. Mar- uh, Melanie Griffith, while a very attractive woman, isn't the strongest actress, and she's Actually, pretty good in RKO two eight one because the things that she does well. Sadly, her voice is really good for making very good whiny noises, mm. and she does a good job in RKO two eight one. The other one, there's actually three. She did get Oscar nominated for Working Girl. I mentioned before, she's really good in that movie. That movie is is uh, very enjoyable, very very eighties. I for- I rewatched it a couple years ago. I forgot how eighties it is. Mm-hmm. Like the hair is all. Fucking primped up and stuff like that. Thoroughly enjoyable. Sigourney Weaver is fucking amazing in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is uh, a movie I watched um, in 19- for 1994 that um, Paul Newman was nominated for called Nobody's Fool. He got a Best Actor nomination for it. She is uh, a smaller role uh, as this girl named uh, Toby, I believe, if I remember correctly. Toby, yeah, Toby. She plays uh, in the movie. She's I think Bruce Willis's wife and Paul Newman, who is much older, flirts with her constantly and she kinda likes it and she flirts a little back and then she decides to go for it. And he's like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. And then he takes kind of like the higher moral ground and says, This is you're you're just doing this to get back at Bruce Willis, who's a piece of shit in the movie and gotcha. stuff like that. She's really good in it. She plays really sweet. Really, really, again, really sweet, very vulnerable, uh, and is is good at it. So, yeah, while she's horribly atrocious in this in this film, there are some other movies she's done where
0: I find her to be quite good. I love that we took a moment to acknowledge that because yeah. you know uh, the. the... My mind always goes here when we talk about really really bad performances. My mind always goes to Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best. Oh. Whenever we talk about really really bad performances and the way that it can affect people, and I worry about it. Like obviously Mel- Melanie Griffith is never going to hear us talk about this, but no. like I don't know, I can't help but think that if if she ever did, like what would she think? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we're not the first person, people to note that she's very bad in this movie.
1: She's fully aware she has eight Razzie nominations. Yeah, there you go, right? She's, yeah.
0: She knows this stuff, but, you know, I don't know. My brain goes here sometimes.
1: Yeah. No, she she has she has some other films and other roles that play to her strengths. And, mm-hmm. unfortunately, this movie was not one of them. Yeah, totally. Uh, I did cut you off. Were, were those all your thoughts on on your final thoughts? Yeah. I did I, kind of I, cut you off. I no, apologize. No, I,
0: I, I don't think you cut me off. I think that was pretty much it.
1: Okay. Uh, for me... I was I was looking forward to this movie. Um, you put it really eloquently at the beginning that you were a little concerned about watching these bad pictures because most of the movies we watch are really good. And I'm really glad to hear that you are getting something out of these because if they do become a chore, I hope you'll let me know because oh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll turf them. Uh, I'm just... I I,
0: like... I think one per 14-part miniseries is about the ratio that I can handle, so we're doing great right now. Good. Perfect.
1: <laughs> um... I was looking forward to this, one, because I'd never heard of this movie. And two, I obviously, because I'd never heard it, I'd never seen it. And it's very it's very rare where we get to watch a movie I have never seen before. So it's uh, that's always kind of new and exciting for me. And then I was excited to see this movie that had one worst picture, especially one I'd never heard of. So I wasn't let down. It was as bad as I thought. I can... Okay, uh, I was – I'm not going to say anything because another movie that was nominated for Worst Picture is one we're reviewing called The Bodyguard.
0: Hmm.
1: That was nominated for, best, for Worst Picture. Interesting. So uh, maybe I'll wait for my full thoughts on whether or not this was worthy of a Worst Picture win uh, until we've watched the other ones. Ah, no, Fuck it. Who cares? Hmm. Uh, out of the five nominees for Worst Picture, uh, Shining Through, The Bodyguard, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, Final Analysis, and Newsies, I've seen three. I have not seen Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, or Final Analysis. I've watched Newsies recently, and I've seen The Bodyguard and Shining Through, and I can tell you right now, I think I would rather watch Shining Through than Newsies. Uh, Newsies, out of those five, would easily be the worst picture for me. Okay. And, like I said, I've watched four other movies from 1992 that got a one-star rating. And I gave gave Newsies a two. Whoa, look at you go.
0: I gave Newsies a two. Um... Just out of curiosity, yeah. have you seen Hudson Hawk? I have. You have? Uh-huh. Are we in for it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. We'll get there when we get there. Yeah. 1991, uh, Worst Picture uh, winner, Hudson Hawk. Um,
1: what, I did, what I did like about this movie is, again, I'm going to say this. I've said it four or five times. What bothered me the most about this movie is it has such great structure to actually be an incredibly good movie recast Melanie Griffith, tighten up that script and get a much better director. And this movie, in uh, no word of a lie, this movie is something that could win awards.
0: And uh, something that we didn't, we didn't really talk a lot about direction or about, uh, sorry, the gentleman's name is... David Seltzer. David Seltzer. David Seltzer didn't really talk about him or his direction. Obviously not good, but um, the, it's worth acknowledging um, for Melanie Griffith's sake that um, not to take her good performances away from her, because obviously she's responsible for those too, but a good director can go a long way for an acting performance, and a bad director can go a long way for a bad acting performance. Like, half of an a- half of a director's job, really, um, in the eyes of some, is to get good performances out of their cast members and know how to get to them and get them to perform to their best. And obviously, Melanie Griffith was dealt a shit hand and didn't have somebody who knew how to pull those good performances out of her that we know she can give on occasion.
1: Um David Seltzer also uh directed uh a movie I think I've seen but I barely remember. Uh it's a Tom Hanks movie mm. called Punchline about uh stand up comedians. Uh also starring Sally Field. Cool. And uh another That's movie, a very likable cast. Yeah. Uh another movie called Lucas that was really famous in the eighties. Uh it's nineteen eighty six um starring Corey Haim. Mm. Um and a very young Charlie Sheen. But his direction in this movie was was not good, um, and it, ju- it just kind of was really frustrating to see what potentially could have been an absolutely fantastic film fall apart because of poor direction and poor casting choices. So uh, I'm glad we watched it. It just is so sad to see something that actually could have been amazing. Uh, turn into this um, not great film. Yeah. Sammy, what are you given the Razzie Award winning Shining Through on your scale of one?
0: Manny, I like to think we give all movies, good or bad, a fair shake. Yes. And we do our best to find the good and the bad. There was a lot of bad here. Okay. It's a one. Oh, wow. It's a two for me.
1: There was just too much good structure in this film. I, again, everything's kind of subjective and changed like that. I think the reason that this gets a two is because of the other films I've watched that got a one. That's probably true. <laughs> and so I would, if you're like, would you rather watch Shining Through or those four other films? I would rather watch this. That's true. So I think, I think because of that, that's why it's getting a two, because it's not as bad as those other movies I've watched. Okay. So i'll be honest i think my one my ones are movies that i will actively try not to ever watch again Mm -hmm. i can't say this about this movie i could probably sit down and watch this movie again i won't want to but i could those four other ones i will actively try my
0: best to never watch them again totally so it gets a two sam
1: what's going on next
0: week Next week we are continuing our mini series on 1992. We're going to be talking about the Crying Game in episode two fourteen. Is this uh, a Best Picture Nom? It is indeed. Okay, Best Picture Nom, the Crying Game. This will be the second
1: Ooh. that we've done. Uh, yes. For Best Picture, Scent of a Woman and the Crying Game. Yeah, fourth
0: fourth episode overall.
1: Yeah. Second Best Picture Nom. As per tradition. Sam, have you seen The Crying Game?
0: I have not. I know nothing. Nothing about it. All right. No cast members, no plot points. Nothing. Zero zilch.
1: All right. So, Sam, let's continue the fun game that uh, our listeners, and by listeners, I mean Rachel. Um, I have, Well, Jordan and Wes haven't told me if they love this <laughs> section, but Rachel has told me flat out that
0: she... We was, assume that you love everything about us always. Yes,
1: but <laughs> Rachel has stated numerous times that she loves when you try to Good. guess All right. what the movie's about. So, Sam... What is The Crying Game about? The
0: 1992 film, A Crying Game. No, or not, sorry, uh, not, uh, The Crying Game. Let's get the title you. correct. That's the one you. thing I do know about the movie is the title. Or at okay. least that I should know. Uh, the Crying Game is a 1992 film that was nominated for Best Picture. It is a romantic drama film. Uh, the Crying Game, the title, refers to um, a way... It refers to a courting technique that the girls in the movie use, oh. is my guess. Uh <laughs> where uh, they will try to act vulnerable to guys and, uh, and use their tears to seduce men and reveal their future selves, or reveal themselves at a later time okay. for who they really are. All that right. is my best guess. All That's right. what I
1: got. Wicked. This will be very interesting to revisit in one week's time. Um, Glad you think so. I th- I'm pretty sure I told you off air, but I have seen this movie before. Kay. Hence, I will not be participating in this exercise. You gotcha. Uh, I've only seen this movie maybe twice. Once for sure. And... Oh, I was going to say something. Can I say it without revealing anything? Yeah. I can do this. I can do this. A film that I know that you enjoy references... This movie. Okay. So I will I will leave it at that because I definitely don't want to give anything, not even giving this away. Well, giving that away would give it away a little bit. But I will, <laughs> I will, I'm going to leave myself a note mm-hmm. to see if you know
0: what movie I'm talking about. See then. if I, I pick up on a reference that is made to this movie yes. when I see it? Yes. Got it. Yeah. It is basically a,
1: um, I'm going to leave it there. That's as far as I want. I don't want to wreck anything because that would, not that it's not that it spoils anything, but I just don't want. I don't want anything. I don't want no sully whatsoever. Uh, I want you to go into this movie unsull- blind, unsullied. Okay. I but I will. I'm going to leave myself a note um, to uh, to touch upon that next week. Um, it's. I'll be interesting to know if you, if you get it, if you're like, hey, that movie is pulling from that scene right there. Okay.
0: Okay. I mostly know what you're talking about. <laughs> we'll see when we get there next week.
1: All right. Um, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You give us a five star rating and a positive review. It does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us. You can also give us a rating on Spotify. We would greatly appreciate it as it does build the uh, fan base, or our knowledge of our film, of our film, of our film podcast, our podcast film, film podcast. It's late. It is late. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I am stumbling. It is late. I'm very tired. But we do appreciate everyone that has been rating and listening. You can also follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42 and Sam Reimer. If you're interested in what we've been watching, that is the best place to follow us. And you can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. For the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel.
0: Gute Nacht, meine Freunde. I'm Sam Reimer.
1: Adios!